Flyover Politics Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Here we are in the assassination business again. Do you think that the assassination, as you put it, of General Soleimani was against international law? Is there a new deviancy in the American culture that we now support murder killing of political leaders? Millions of Iranians mourn the death of Qasem Soleimani today. A stunning show of solidarity. The supreme leader of Iran weeping and praying over a coffin draped in the Iraqi flag. He was such a legendary figure, raised not only in terms of what he actually did, but mythologically. Suggesting the world is a safer place this morning, you would be hard-pressed to find people in this region who buy this. To assassinate him, do they think that's going to make us safer? One reckless act by the American president. Did the president make a major mistake? Do you believe there was an imminent threat from Iran? Do we have reason to trust what this administration says? Prove it. Donald Trump still has no idea how much. Uh, this is going to dial up uh, conflict in the Middle East. Did he just make a decision to keep himself alive politically that put us and our families at mortal risk? Our troops will be put in danger because of the vanity of Donald Trump. This is a massive escalation. An irreversible path to all-out war with Iran. Blood will be spilled, American blood, because of it. This is what happens when you have a president who proudly goes with his gut, leaving the government scrambling to retrofit with no clear policy objective. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 9th of January, year of our Lord, 2020. That intro is a compilation of our media freaking out over Iran because they root for Iran, as we learned in our last podcast. And of course, 
missiles. Today's podcast, we're going to start a little bit with the missiles. We're going to go into news and social media nuggets, going to hit the Golden Globe, Planned Parenthood report came out. They're still killing 939,000 babies a year. Some gay shit, everything's racist, liberal shit. And then we'll close back in on Iran because it's just disgusting. I mean, what liberals are doing right now, not only is hypocritical, but it's just disgusting how they are rooting for the other team. Johnny Deplorable starts us off. May 2019, Iran attacks oil tankers in the Gulf. June 2019, Iran shoots down U.S. drone. July 2019, Iran seizes British oil tanker. September 2019, Iran attacks Saudi oil company. December 2019, Iran storms U.S. embassy in Baghdad. How's Trump starting a war? I mean, this is not even talk about all the terrorist attacks they've done. Syria, Libya, Iraq. Capturing U.S. service members. Remember the whole sailor incident? The media was like, oh, it's not Obama's fault. He's not a feckless foreign policy. Then he hands him billions of dollars of money. Okay. The FAA, because of all this, says no civilian flights in the Middle East. And then what happens? BNO News, plane crash, Ukrainian International Flight 752 was taken off from Tehran, crashed minutes after takeoff, 176 on board, all killed, 82 from Iran, 63 from Canada, 11 Ukrainian, 10 Sweden, 4 Afghanistan, 3 Germany, and 3 UK. It's believed to be an accident. The media is not doing anything to actually look into it, but let's be honest. That was a Iranian air defense gun. Thought it was a military target. Took that bitch down. They won't give the black box up to Ukraine. Our media? Nothing. NBC News, while this was going down, watched live coverage of General Salami is buried in his hometown of Kerman, Iran. James Hassan. He was responsible for killing more than 600 Americans. The last one was named Nawaz Walid Hamid, who worked for the military, and he was buried last Saturday in Sacramento. What the hell is wrong with you? Caleb Hull, I kid you not, CNN is sharing unconfirmed video from Iranian state TV, supposedly showing the attack on U.S. soldiers tonight, and plastering pre-roll ads on it. Our This is America Today's MSNBC not caring what our Department of Defense said about casualties. They're carrying the Iranian, because you can't trust Trump. So we'll carry out false data from Iran, because we trust Iran more. Nancy Pelosi, closely monitoring the situation following bombing targets U.S. troops in Iraq. We need to ensure the safety of our service members, including end the ending needless provocation from the administration and demanding that Iran cease its violence. America and world cannot afford war. America cannot afford war is a poor choice of words when the Iranians are listening. Nothing says stupid more than, while your troops are under attack, you tweet, America cannot afford war. So what happened during this? Nancy Pelosi said, I'll call him back when Mike Pence called to tell her about Iranian missile attacks and revenge for Salami's death. She went to a restaurant opening after speaking to him. 
Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she returned a call to Vice President Pence Tuesday night after he called to inform her about the Iran's attack on Iraq. She was in a meeting with House Democrats when she was handed a note. Pence was on the phone. Tell him I'll call him back. She was later given a note. Iran hit U.S. targets in Iraq. Prayer, she told lawmakers. Her office said Pelosi returned Pence's call after she presided over the opening of House Representatives. Later that night, Pelosi was spotted at an opening of a new restaurant in D.C. She went to the opening of Milano Marie, a Roman-style Tatarina. Photos on Twitter showed her there, but she only stayed 10 minutes. She was smiling and happy. She didn't give a fuck. Chuck Schumer, President Trump seems hell-bent on starting another endless war in the Middle East. He does not have the authority to do so. I plan to fight him tooth and nail on this and intend support the... Ep- Efforts of Senator Kane Sanders and others. Congress must assert its authority. That's odd, because when Obama was president, killing of Abu Yabir al-Abi is a huge blow to al-Qaeda and evidence that President Obama bold and decisive drone strike policy is working. Philip Schuler sums it up. Obama kills an Emmy terrorist, Schumer lauds him. Trump kills an Emmy terrorist, Schumer berates him, tweeting, President Trump seems hell-bent on starting a war. I argued for, like, two days with liberals that are trying to equate, oh, this is like sh- killing a real leader. The Cuts Force is a terrorist organization, but he's a real leader. Nicholas Kristoff. Iran has pretty good missile targeting, so they probably deliberately hit empty ground. I doubt they mentioned that to Ayatollah Khomeini. Caitlin Collins. The initial assessment is that Iranian missiles struck areas of the Al-Assad base not populated by Americans. A U.S. military official and senior administrative official tells CNN. Officials have said the U.S. is awaiting daylight to get full assessment. Breaking satellite imagery from Planet Labs is shared via MIIS show extent of damage from Iranian missile strikes. Appear to be precision strike of structures holding equipment. They were shooting at the heart of the air base. Let's dispense with the notion they were aiming at sand. CNN. CNN has obtained satellite images from Planet Labs Inc. that appear to show damage from Iranian missile strikes at an air base in Iraq housing troops. Satellite photos, this is from NPR, satellite photos taken Wednesday show that Iranian missile strike had caused extensive damage at the Ain al-Assad air base in Iraq, which hosts U.S. and coalition troops. Photos taken by the commercial company Planet and Planet and shared with NPR via the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey show hangars and buildings hit hard by a barrage of Iranian missiles that were fired early Wednesday morning. At least five structures were damaged in the attack at the base in Ambar province, which apparently wasn't precision enough to hit individual buildings. Some locations struck looked like the missile hit dead center, said David Shermer, an analyst at Middlebury. They're trying to side with her. Oh, look at Iran. They're not like Trump. They're not trying to kill people. They're just trying to send a message. And they have every right because we violated them. We're the bad people because it's a Republican president. It's not a bad person when, you know, Democrat president. You can kill people. You can do whatever the hell you want. As I said in the last podcast, you could smoke whole fucking villages. Because there's that special D behind your name. It's it's just disgusting. And one last thing before we go into college crazy. Breaking Fox 19 in Cincinnati is reporting that CNN will settle in a lawsuit with Covington Catholic student Nicholas Sandman 
CNA agreed Tuesday to settle a lawsuit with Covington Catholic student Nick Sandman. The amount of settlement was not made public during a hearing at the federal courthouse in Covington. Sandman's lawsuit sought $800 million from CNN, The Washington Post, and NBC Universal. They're now going after NBC. CNN settled because if it went to court, it wasn't going to be good for them. And they knew it. But as you'll see through our RAN coverage at the back end, CNN don't give no fucks. CNN, they think they're the smartest people in the room. That's just who they are. So, let's have some fun in the middle of all this bullshit. Because the back end, I'll get my, uh, I'll clear my throat and chest and everything else because this Iran stuff has just shown what I've always known, but every time I see it, it just angers me. But let's have some fun with some college crazy. Were you trying to get crazy with this, see? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. The New York Times starts us off. PragerU, a growing hub of online right-wing media machine, is using YouTube as a way to circumvent professors and parents to reach a new generation of students. Did, did you just hear that? Everything we have out there that's liberal, PragerU is circumventing liberal professors and parents. Last year, PragerU video racked up more than 1 billion views, the company said. The Prager Empire now has a fleet of 6,500 high school and college student promoters known as the Prager Force, who host on-campus meetings and gather at least once a year for conventions. And this year, the company's expanding its scope. PragerU executives are signing stars of Young New Right to host made for the internet shows to fuel 2020 content, including a book club and a show geared to Hispanics called Americanos. The goal of the people behind all this, Dennis Prager, the conservative talk show host and impresario of the digital empire and the venture's billionaire funders, seems simple. More will wits in the world. More pride in American history and less panic over racism, more religion, specifically in judo-Christian values, less illegal immigration, more young people laughing at people on the left rather than joining them. I don't remember them saying something negative about the young Turks. Hmm. Free Speech Org says Iowa State is chilling political speech ahead of caucuses. And the article breaks down, they're basically doing what all liberals do. You can say whatever you want on the left, but if you're conservative, oh, that's inappropriate. That's hate speech. It's what they fucking do. Disturbing young number of young Americans favor communism poll fines. It's like the third in the last two years. But when life gets tough, what do you do? I want free. I mean, that's just what it comes down to with these kids. They don't know any better. By that, they don't know somebody's got to pay for it eventually. Shit, there's no money tree out there. 
UNH professor asking black people to speak out about anti-Semitism makes you a garden variety racist. Wasn't that interesting? University of New Hampshire physics professor Chanda Prescott-Weinstein took to Twitter on New Year's Eve to explain why anti-Semitism is exclusively a white problem and why it's appropriate, inappropriate to discuss anti-Semitic acts committed by black people. Prescott-Weinstein began her tweet storm by explaining that it's anti-black and dangerous both to non-Jewish people and to Jews to consider violent attacks against Jews by black people equivalent to white anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism in the United States historically is a white Christian problem, and if any black people have developed an anti-Semitic view, it is under the influence of white Gentiles. Uh, is that a UIW? Is that like a DUI? I, I, I don't understand. Professor goes on to explain how white Jews adopted a whiteness as a social proxis and harmed black people in the process. Some black people have problematically blamed Jewishness for it. So, hey, it's grounded. There is no systematic black and Jewish violence, the professor clarified, before insisting that putting more police and people with guns outside of synagogues may make white Jews feel safer, but it will endanger Jews of color, especially black Jews and Middle Eastern Jews. All those black Israelites, yeah, those people probably don't need any protection. They want to kill everybody. Uh, putting more, okay, let me see, uh, there is no systemic black and Jewish violence. There is systematic anti-Semitism among white Gentiles and white supremacy among white people, including white Jews, that combines as a force hard to work on black people. Black people must resist these forces, but no one should forget their origins. She continued her thread by proclaiming that refi- reifying the Zionist project in Palestine will not lead to long-term safety for Jews, especially Palestinian Jews, and anyone else who isn't a white as Shazani Jew. She goes on to blame violent attacks against Jewish people on incarceration, in that it is responsible that begets violence, that actively endangers and because prisons are a hotbed of white supremacist gang recruitment. She then invokes Trump, calling him the anti-Semite-in-chief. He wants you to be distracted by efforts to throw mentally ill black people who have breathed in anti-Semitism into the mass incarceration complex. I love how they come up with these things. The complex. You choose what you do next, she said to the president. But know that if you are demanding that black leaders make a particular point of speaking out about anti-Semitism, you're probably a garden-variety racist. She concluded by warning that discussions around black anti-Semitism are distracting people from the fight against white supremacy and might feel good in the short term, but what are the costs in the long term? I mean, really think about it. This is no different than anything else we see. When Democrats are in blackface, it's Trump's fault. I mean, everything's Trump's white This boogeyman white supremacist. They've been able to put that out. Ever since those idiots and their fucking tiki torches. And people just eat this shit with a spoon when, as we said on the show, does anybody know a white supremacist? I've never met one. I've never met a skinhead. But if you watch TV and, and Hollywood or whatever, it's it's every fucking where. Speaker at Christian University compares illegal immigrants to biblical Israelites going to the promised land. Not reading it. Just had to read that title. Okay, 
Redkirch students told not to quote Bible and essay because of separation of church and state. Which has nothing to do with college, but okay. After quoting a popular Bible verse to back up his assertion about the tenets of Christianity in a college essay, a student at Rutgers University, New Brunswick, says he was told to avoid quoting Bible verses in academic papers because of the separation of church and state and shit, and the potential to offend non-Christians. Political science student and campus reform correspondent Peter Cordy was assigned an autobiographical paper in his Intro to Gender and Race and Sexuality class last semester. Well, there it is. Gender, race, and sexuality. We don't have gender, white people are racist, and sexuality is fuck everything. Okay, I got it. In his paper, Cordy referenced a personal friend of his who struggled with his own homosexuality and identity, especially given the views of an individual mother. Cordy wrote about his friend's mother, cites her Christian religion and beliefs to justify her opinion of people who identify as gay. Cordy is a Christian who disagrees with his friend's mother's view towards members of the LGBT community and quotes scripture from the Bible to support his position. Cordy quoted the popular verse 316, John 316, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believeth in him should not perish for everlasting life. In grading Cordy's paper, Professor Kath Sanders, Sandler, I don't know what kind of name that is, K-A-T-H-E, Include her remarks next to Cordy's use of the quote, telling the student that his quote for the Bible was inappropriate. Avoid voting, quoting scripture in academic papers unless you're commenting on scripture. Cordy told Campus Forum that he was taken by surprise, received a B-plus grade on the assignment, since the criticism regarding the Bible quote was one of only two critical comments left of his paper. Cordy sought reassurance that he not lose a full letter grade as a result of quoting the Bible, especially since Sandler had permitted students to use outside sources for the assignment. Shortly after receiving the grade, Cordy decided to reach out to Sandler over email about the matter and she responded by saying she'd be happy to discuss it with them further detail in person. An exclusive recording of his conversation, Sandler could be heard elaborating on her written remarks by reminding Cordy of separation of church and state. The Bible may not be for everyone. When Cordy asked if the professor found the use of scripture offensive, she replied, I think, for instance, this wouldn't work for Muslims or Jewish people. Students at any institution should be encouraged to research and utilize any resource that they deem relevant, topic at hand. Many universities within the United States have accepted a dangerous and narrow-minded rhetoric, such as prohibiting Bible, which often lead to biased and one-sided culture, Rutgers student David Abavov said to campus reform. My right to free speech and religion have certainly been violated. Separation of church and state is supposed to protect the church from the state. And if I want to quote the Bible and say that Jesus loves everybody, then it's my right to do so. But no. Because remember, all fucking liberals hate Christians. That's just what they do. They fucking hate them. And no else hates them. The LGBT Mafia, because we're going into gay shit. Hey, 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 bow, 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 little pump in the cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit. Well, you thought you knew the terms of genitalia. The joke's on you, because the Human Rights Campaign Foundation has published their Safer Sex for Trans Body Guide. 
And if you want to understand it, you need to learn the real proper terms for genitalia. Fortunately, the HRCF's guide includes a handy glossary to help you familiarize yourself with the correct language for our modern times. Amir Sasala. Was the person that tweeted this, and this is how I found it. Dick. We use this word to describe external genitals. Dick comes in all shapes and sizes and can belong to people of all de- genders. Oh, really? Front hole. We use this word to talk about internal genitals, sometimes referred to as a vagina. A front hole may self-lubricate depending on the age and hormones. Strapless. We use this word to describe the genitals of trans women who have not had genital reconstruction or bottom surgery, sometimes referred to as a penis. Vagina. We use this word to talk about the genitals of trans women who have had bottom surgery. So if you, you pick up what they're saying, it's a front hole for everybody else. But once they become real, I guess, women to them, you get a call it a vagina. But you regular cis women, no, that is not a vagina. So Whitman Walker Health came up with this shit. Let me open this crap up. This is just some fucking dumbass shit right here. Dick, front hole. One of the most affirming things their partners told me is, affirming my trans identity, is not just about the language. It's about committing to recognizing me as a male and treating me as such. Everybody in these pictures just, no. Get to know yourself. Masturbation. Call it my dick and you don't hesitate when you say it because that's how I know what you think and how you feel about what you're saying. Don't say cunning list. Say head. Use the words you would use for any other guy. My body's different. Chances are good that I have more experience with it than you or anyone I probably know what feels good. Whether that's what I like to be called or how I want to be touched. Male. FTM. It breaks down how to jack off. Screwing, shagging, or mattress dancing. Turn-ons. Boundaries. Your boundaries is okay. Turn-ons. Talking to your partner about what gets you excited can be great foreplay. There's such a wide menu of options in the world of sex. Eh, consent. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, you can't do anything unless you said so. To me, safe sex means a barrier between you and any fluids. That means condoms, gloves, dental dams. Safe sex is extremely important to me because I am poly. I like to have sex with lots of people, and the only way to keep doing that is to be safe. Polly's another word for whore. That's what we like to call it. Uh, Here's some activities. Kissing. You get herpes. Sharing sex toys, strap-ons. You can get everything. Just everything. Humping and rubbing. Still get a bunch of shit. Oral sex on dicks, front holes. Fucking front holes. Fingering, fisting, whole bunch of shit. Front hole, vaginal, and anal. Oh, you can fucking die. Safer sex tools. They break down all sorts of gloves, dental dams. Safer sex without barriers. Emotionally safer sex is achieved through communication and gentleness. This is the kind of sex that can be incredibly healing to sexual assault or domestic abuse survivors. It can remove the association between sex and emotional or physical violence over time. It proves incredibly valuable to me. Ash. Gender. Queer. Woman. Whatever 
the fuck that means. Um, let's see. Sorry, I lost my place. Let's get down to here. Uh, BDSM and kink. Other sexy options. I was unaware of how fluid sex could be pre-transition. I thought it was me, the girl bottom, and he, the guy top. And that was the gist of it. By showing me how comfortable they were with my body, showing me even though I was uncomfortable in my body, I could be appreciated by someone else involved, regardless, passion, kissing, playing up what I felt was feminine. My breast, my lips, and my cock. Okay. Yeah, that means you're okay. Hormone surgery, trans-feminine hormones. They're showing people that, once again... You don't look at it. Trans-feminine surgeries, trans-masculine surgeries, trans-pride flag. They have their own flag now. Yeah. The stripes at the top and bottom are light blue, the traditional color for baby boys. The stripes next to them are pink, the traditional color for baby girls. The stripes in the middle is white for those who are intersex transitioning or considering themselves having a neutral, unidentified gender. The pattern is such that no matter which way you fly, that's always correct, signifying us finding correctness in our lives. So I thought we weren't supposed to use regular colors. I'm just, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. Is it me? Am I the one that's confused? I, I think they're confused too, but I'm just asking. I mean, seriously. Front hole. I, I didn't even sell that with joke very good because it's just so absurd. It's my front hole. Hey, come and give me some loving in my front hole. My wife would never say that. I'm just saying it. I'm going to joke about it, though, sometime. Hey, can I look at your front hole? Hmm. Professor threatens to dock students' grade for not using gender-inclusive language. This comes about the same time Boy George says, Leave your pronouns at the door. You must refer to me as Napoleon, and that's as ridiculous as it gets. I used the ladies' toilet throughout the 80s. Look at me. I don't care what he said. He did that for a fucking gag. They were all doing it. You spin me eyes around. That dude's more of a dude than me. And he had fucking, what was that, dead or alive? Half his head was woman and man. Whatever. Marquette University student Josh Guckenberg says visiting assistant professor James Baho told him in November that if he did not use gender-neutral language, the next paper points would be deducted from his grade. Guckenberg provided campus reform with a screenshot of the grade summary for use of his papers. Use gender-inclusive language. Humanity is not man, nor is it a he. However, this was not Guckenberg's first confrontation with philosophy professor. According to Guckenberg, a first-year student and a member of Marquette University's Young American for Freedom chapter, as well as a college Republican chapter. At the beginning of the semester, when Boho asked his Marquette students for book recommendation, Guckenberg submitted The Right Side of History by conservative commentator Ben Shapiro. Guckenberg claimed to campus form that his philosophy professor response was something effective. This is a stupid book. What a stupid ass choice to read. I thought Boho would appreciate the level of wisdom brought by Shapiro, but you can't do that because remember, he's the steps to white supremacy. Sorry, I had to get my cigar going back up again. Here's one of the emails. Hey, Josh, just a quick note to dismissing the Shapiro book you suggested we read. I have regarded a very, uh, basically, he's a piece of shit. Dear Josh, hope all is well with you. 
Uh, let me get my fucking glasses, because I can't read this fucking shit. It's, even before I put it on the page, it's like font six, and it's really, really hard to read. Um, there we go. Hope all is well with you. I've had several rounds of conversation with Department Chair Dr. Kavanaugh Gibson and email correspondence with the instructor Dr. James Bajo regarding a request to use gender-specific pronouns of formal uh, written stuff without penalty. Bajo has indicated his willingness to accept a version of what you and I discussed and each future assignment after your first usage of gender-inclusive or gender-specific pronouns, please add a notation. It is helpful my use something along the lines of, while I recognize the gender-inclusive language, decline as best practiced by American Philosophical Philosophical Association. I disagree with it because of personal beliefs. My dis my decision to use gender exclusive language as thus not an accident but a deliberate choice in representing my authentic voice <laughs> so basically it says you can do this but you have to act like us and say I'm just being me okay that's that's just fucking fantastic that, that's just fucking fantastic I would give my left nut for somebody going and majoring in biology to come out and tell us what they have to do now that you can't say male or female in a class. I guarantee it's there. I mean, no, we're learning science, but we've changed science so these motherfuckers won't club us. United Methodist Church is expecting to split over gay marriage, fracturing the nation's third largest denomination. UMC is expected to split into more than one denomination in an attempt to bring them to close a year-long and contentious fight over same-sex marriage. The historic schism would divide the third largest religious denomination in the United States. Leader of the church announced Friday they agreed to spin off a traditional Methodist denomination, which would continue to oppose same-sex marriage and refuse orientation ordination to LGBT clergy, while allowing the remaining portion of the United Methodist Church to permit same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy for the first time in history. The plan would need to be approved in May at the Denomination Worldwide Conference. The writer of the plan called the division the best means to resolve our differences, allowing each part of the church to remain true to its theological understanding while recognizing the dignity, equality, integrity, and respect of every person. I'm going to read the rest of it. I don't know how you do this. Once again, I don't think any real Christian turns anybody away. But how do you acknowledge that? Biblically. How? And how do you have transgender or gay priests? How? Or pastors? How do you do that? I don't know how you do that. Because that is just everything that... I mean, I've read the Bible, okay? And I know it's not in there. As I've said on the show numerous times, not to get all religious, I'm smoking a stogie. I drink a bourbon. I do a whole bunch of shit. I'm a sinner. I ain't saying I ain't. But this is the temple. And I don't think God's down with you taking the temple and going, yeah, let's chop this off and make it something else. I mean, we're we are born this way, as the song goes. Not the way you want to be born. 
First person to get legal non-binary designation admits he was indoctrinated. It was all a lie. I think we covered this before, but I wanted to get into it again because it was a big PJ Media article. It was all a lie. An exclusive report from PJ Media. James Shoup told PJ Media, The charade of not being male, the legal fiction is over, the lies behind my fictitious sex change, something I'm ashamed or shamefully participated in, first to female and then to non-binary has been forever exposed. A truthful accounting of events has replaced the deceit that allowed me to become America's first legally non-binary person. The legal record has now been corrected and LGBT advocates are no longer able to use my historic non-binary court order to advance their toxic agenda, he added. I am and always have been a male. This is my biological truth, the only thing capable of grounding me to reality. The legal fiction is over. James Shoup becomes the first legal non-binary American is now saying it's all bullshit. That's a tweet. Um, I hope that Hollister and all the others are denied the right to change their sex to non-binary because it's a fraud legal fiction based on pseudoscience. I was indoctrinated to believing that I had to, this thing called a gender identity and that suppressing it was causing my mental health problems. It was a lie. Uh, Hollister has used Shoup's case to buttress her attempt to change her legal designation. Shoup recalled I ended up in a psych ward three times because of hormones. I had blood clots in my eyes because my estrogen levels were 2,585 instead of 200. Low bone density, problem controlling my bladder and emotional instability. Blood tests indicated I was dropping into kidney disease territory for about 18 months. I had chronic dermatology issues and skin reactions to the estrogen patches. I passed on a glitch of floor from spironolacotone. He continued, I don't know what the fuck that is. The gender transition was supposed to fix my mental health problem, but I just kept getting worse. The high-powered marijuana made me psychotic. I started hearing booming noises and having visions of being some Indian woman. I started believing I was some kind of chosen one who was picked to restore the third gender to North America. That's what I thought the visions were telling me. In 2013, began identifying as a transgender woman, but never had a surgical sex change. In June 2016, he was legally enabled to change his sex from male to non-binary. In just a matter of months, she went from supporting transgender military services to defending Trump's requirement that servicemen live according to biological sex. Suddenly, the media was no longer interested in his opinion. Ship told PJ Media, not a single Oregon media outlet had been willing to talk to me, let alone report that I'm reclaiming my birth sex, sex and have denounced gender ideology. They dropped me after I supported Trump's ban on gender dysphoria in the military. That got me canceled, he recalled. In January 2019, I walked in DMV and confronted a clerk with my U.S. passport, telling her, look, I'm a male, I'm reclaiming my male birth sex, and I want a driver's license with a male instead of female. On December 11th, she petitioned the Multnomah County Court in Oregon, writing, the purpose of my request is to restore the original male designation that I was correctly observed to be at birth and restore the precious name given to me at birth by my parents. Despite six years of hormonal treatments, my sex was immutable, and I remained the same biological male I was at the time of my birth. In hindsight, my sex change to non-binary was a psychologically harmful legal fiction, and I desired to claim my male birth sex. Despite my documented history of severe mental health, my birth certificate has been changed twice previously. Since receiving 2016 non-binary court judgment as case, I've correctly diagnosed with sexual paraphilia by the VA, the root cause of previous confusion about my sexual identity. Shoup concluded, It's an incredibly painful thing to walk back a landmark court decision that made you internationally famous and admit the whole thing was based on lies and deceit. 80%, my friends. 80% go back 
because it's just a goddamn fad. And he hits the key thing in here. This is a mental illness. It's just like PTSD. You need to be treated. You can't just walk around, okay, I'm just going to chop my dick off. That's going to fix it. I mean, seriously, folks. But, you know, Taylor Swift, she's all in. Queer Hero, singer receives Vanguard Award from GLAAD. GLAAD Media will be recognizing pop megastar Taylor Swift's commitment to LGBTQ issues during the Gay Entertainment Lobby annual award show later this year. 30-year-old You Need to Calm Down singer is up for Vanguard Award given by the, the GLAAD to allies who have been significant dif- difference in promoting acceptance of LGBTQEIAO people. In January 7th statement, GLAAD President Sarah Kate Ellis committed Swift from boldly standing up against anti-LGBTQ elected officials to shining attention to the urgent need to protect LGBTQ people from discriminating through the Equality Act. Taylor Swift proudly used her unique ability to influence pop culture. Sure thing, although Taylor is less of a hero and more so just another spoiled celebrity being paraded out by special intergroups in order to condescend to people who are reluctant to join progressive causes. She's a left-wing android, more or less. She promotes all the boilerplate gay lobby crap and bashes Trump supporters as scary racists. Swift made her abrupt shift left in 2018 when she went off Marshall Blackburn. So, yeah, there you go. Netflix partners with Vox to create docu-series that promotes Polly Mori. Have you ever browsed Netflix looking for a show that went into the detail about the strange sexual fantasies and tendencies of other people? Me neither. But Netflix sure has come a long way from being solely a streaming service to now creating and promoting shows that showcase sexual fetishes. Like sleeping with multiple partners, being attracted to partners of either sex, and bondage. The show Sex Explained was created through a collaboration with Netflix and Vox, the Moonbats. Left-wing actress Janelle Monet narrates the docu-series detailing topics like childbirth, sexual fantasies, and attraction. The fact that Netflix now automatically plays the trailer of this docu-series when viewers open the platform means families are being exposed to this hedonistic content without selecting anything. And this is quite impactful considering that more than US, more U.S. households have Netflix than pay TV. To woke journalists, though, this docu-series serves as a kind of sex education for people. The Daily Beast reviewed Sex Explained, applauded for being non-judgmental. Monet's warm, even voice carries a reassuring lack of judgment that defines the series. It's especially effective as the introductory episode works to normalize kinks and convey the vast spectrum of human perversion. I mean, they say sexuality. There's a lot of variables in sexual fantasies, and they don't tell you anything reliable about you. If you have fantasies that disturb you or scare you and you wonder what they mean, they don't mean a lot. So don't worry about them. Ever so inching in on map. That's all they're doing. You will eventually see on Netflix, which I no longer have anymore. You're going to see a map show. Feel sorry for these people who get turned on by little kids. You're going to see it. And they're going to say it's totally normal. And you're a piece of shit if you don't accept the perversion. Because that's, that's that's where we are, folks. So let's go to a quick music break. And we're going to come into liberal shit. And here is some rich, Ricky... Ver, I can never say him. Gervais. And the Golden Globes. I'm going to play the whole speech. Because I didn't watch the show. But then I heard it. And you know what? 
it's amazing when a guy like this is super lib, now even points his finger at the libs and goes, what the fuck? The next contestant on Liberal Hello and welcome to the 77th Annual Golden Globe Awards, live from the Beverly Hilton Hotel here in Los Angeles. I'm Ricky Gervais, thank you. Um, you'll, you'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting these awards, so I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking. I never did. Um, NBC clearly don't care either. Fifth time. So, I mean, Kevin Hart was fired from the Oscars because of some offensive tweets. Hello. <laughs> Lucky for me, the Hollywood foreign press can barely speak English. And... They've no idea what Twitter is, so I got offered this gig by fax. So let's go out with a bang. Let's have a laugh at your expense, shall we? Remember, they're just jokes. 
we're all going to die soon and there's no sequel. So, yeah, remember that. Um, but you all look lovely, all doled up. You came here in your limos. I came here in a limo tonight and the license plate was made by Felicity Huffman. So, no, shush. It's her, it's her daughter I feel sorry for, okay? That must be the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to her. And her dad was in Wild Hogs. So, lots of big celebrities here tonight. I mean, legends, icons, yeah? Look, at this table alone. Uh, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. But... <laughs> Baby Yoda. Uh, oh, that's, that's Joe Pesci, sorry. Um, I love you, man. Don't have me whacked. Um, but tonight isn't just about the people in front of the camera. In this room are some of the most important TV and film executives in the world. People from every background, but they all have one thing in common. They're all terrified of Ronan Farrow. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. Look, talking of all you perverts, it was a big year... It was a big year for paedophile movies. Um, Surviving R. Kelly, Leaving Neverland, Two Popes. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. I don't care. I don't care. Many talented people of colour were snubbed in major categories. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that. The Hollywood foreign press are all very, very racist. So, fifth time. So... We were going to do an in-memoriam this year, but when I saw the list of people that had died, it wasn't diverse enough. It just, no. It was mostly white people. And I thought, nah, not on my watch. So, maybe next year. Let's, let's see what happens. No one cares about movies anymore. No one goes to cinema. No one really watches network TV. Everyone's watching Netflix. This show should just be me coming out going, well done, Netflix, you win. Everything. Good night. But no, no, we've got to drag it out for three hours. You could binge watch the entire first season of Afterlife instead of watching this show. That, that's a show about a man who wants to kill himself because his wife dies of cancer. And it's still more fun than this. Okay? <laughs> Spoiler alert, um, season two is on the way. So in the end, he obviously didn't kill himself. Just like Jeffrey Epstein. Shut up. I know he's your friend, but I don't care. <laughs> you had to make your own way here in your own plane, didn't you? Right. But m seriously, most films are awful. Lazy. Remakes. Sequels. I've heard a rumour that there might be a sequel to Sophie's Choice. I mean, that would just be Meryl Streep going, well, it's got to be this one then. All the best actors have jumped to Netflix and HBO, you know. And the actors who just do Hollywood movies now do fantasy adventure nonsense. They wear masks and capes and really tight costumes. Their job isn't acting anymore. It's going to the gym twice a day and taking steroids, really. Have we got, a, have we got an award for most ripped junkie? No. No point. We know he'd win that. Um, Martin Scorsese, the greatest living director, made the news for his controversial comments about the Marvel franchise. He said they're not real cinema and uh, they remind him of theme parks. I agree. Although I don't know what he's doing hanging around theme parks. He's not big enough to go on the rides, is he? <laughs> it's tiny. 
Right. The Irishman was amazing. It was amazing. Um, that, it was. My, my, it was great. Uh, long, but amazing. Um, it wasn't the only epic movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, nearly three hours long. Leonardo DiCaprio attended the premiere, and by the end, his date was too old for him. So, <laughs> even Prince Andrew's like, come on, Leo, mate, you know. You're nearly 50, son. Um, the world got to see James Corden as a fat pussy. He was also in the movie Cats, but no one saw that. Um, and the reviews, oh, shocking. I saw one that said, this is the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs, right? <laughs> but Dame Judi Dench defended the film, saying it was the role she was born to play, because she... I can't do this next joke. <laughs> because she loves nothing better than plonking herself down on the carpet lifting her leg and licking her <laughs> Furball, furball. She's old school. Um, it's the last time, who cares? Oh. Apple roared into the, the TV game with a morning show. A superb drama, yeah. A superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing, made by a company that runs sweatshops in China. So, well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? So, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your God, and... So... It's already three hours long. Right, let's do the first award. The first award... The first award is for Best Actor in a Television Series, Musical or Comedy. To present the award are a couple of actors off the telly, what can I say? Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. Pretty good stuff, but as you can expect, libs didn't like it. Media weep for celebs wounded by Ricky Gervais. Several journalists sprang up to defend Hollywood snowflakes from award show host Ricky Gervais, after he blasted the crowd, the UK comedian ribbed the wealthy movie-making elite with jokes about how out of touch of corrupt many of them are and how they are in no position to lecture the public on anything. Normal people watching found it hilarious and right on the money. However, Hollywood apologists in the media wept for the sake of celebrities. The fifth time he has hosted this, 
Gervais' usual stick, and he spent a chunk of 2019 combating the woke Twitter crowd who called him transphobic. Many were hoping for him to push back while speaking in the belly of the progressive PC beast. Stunned viewers got more than the bargain for when Gervais opened speech blistering the glamorous attendees. He made jokes about the relationship with powerful sex offender Weinstein and Epstein and went the full nine in torching the political credibility. If you do win an award tonight, don't make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public on anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So if you win, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your God, and fuck off. Several media members couldn't stomach the joke on behalf of Hollywood. Notably, L.A. Times reporter Lori Ali published a piece in her paper about the nihilism of Gervais, gloom and doom monologue that was cynical and made the effervescent Tom Hanks scowl. Um, we have just let them lecture us because that's the only thing that is endangering to their smug elite hearts. Well, yes, according to Lorraine, the tweet she provided with the piece was even more pathetic. She complained the Golden Globes mood was already sober thanks to an impeachment, threat of war with Iran, and Australian brush fires. The last thing anyone needed was Gervais running his suck. Um, even Best Actor Award or Drama for Joker, Joaquin Phoenix, scolded the crowd need to preen their own ideological feathers without actually putting in the work. He rebuked them, saying, It's great to vote, but sometimes you have to take the responsibility on ourselves to make change and sacrifice in our own lives. He pointed about their jets. Other sites like Progressive Haven Slate wrote about how big a jerk Gervais was as host, claiming, though, he speaks truth to power occasionally. Much of the time, he's just, well, being kind of a dick. Deadline panned Gervais' performance, calling it weakly, weakly cheeky rather than cutting. Sure, the outlet was just disappointed with the host didn't say anything about escalating tension in the Middle East, Donald Trump, or any of that. If Hollywood reigning actor gets it, maybe Ali and her friend should pause for reflection. Hollywood's full of hypocrites, and it might be better for everyone if they told their face, told their faces. Lefty media needs to get out of the way. Slate's article um, was literally just how big a jerk was Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globe. And I'm not going to read it because it's just so fucking silly. They just can't handle that one of their own said the shit. Uh, Jennifer, Jesse Single, Vox has compiled a helpful list of times Becky Gervais was offensive, including Gervais played with disabled identity in the past, not always positively. Oh, he's bad. Mm. He's a fucking comedian. Stephen Miller, right on time. How to tell Ricky Gervais joke, offended, defend, repeat. Wait until the media finds Ricky Gervais' old tweets in a room full of 0.01 percenters. How can you possibly punch down, criticize their choice of a 150K car? Such a petulant child, Vox.com is. Just like a child tattling out by their wiser siblings. But it was it was there. We have a climate disaster, country on the brink of war, and I'm... Pregnant, what does this guy say? Pregnant actor shouts out our abortion out of Golden Globes, tells women to vote for their self interest. Well, let's, let's listen to these people. We will see a country on the brink of war, the United States of America, a president tweeting out 
a threat of 52 bombs, including cultural sites. Young people risking their lives traveling across the world, people not knowing if bombs are going to drop on their kids' heads, and the continent of Australia on fire. So while I love my kids so much, I beg of us all to give them a better world. Russell Crowe could not be here with us tonight because he is at home in Australia protecting his family from the devastating bushfires. He sent along this message in case he won. Make no mistake, the tragedy unfolding in Australia is climate change-based. We need to act based on science, move our global workforce to renewable energy, and respect our planet for the unique and amazing place it is. That way, we all have a future. Thank you. And celebrate this, but also I know tonight, January 5th, 2020, we're not going to look back on this night. In the history books, we will see a country on the brink of war, the United States of America, a president tweeting out a threat of 52 bombs, including cultural sites. Young people risking their lives traveling across the world, people not knowing if bombs are going to drop on their kids' heads, and the continent of Australia on fire. So while I love my kids so much, I beg of us all to give them a better world. For our kids and their kids, we have to vote in 2020, and we have to get beg and plead for everyone we know to vote in 2020. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, um, first of all, to my Fosse-Verdon family and to the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. When you put this in someone's hands, you're acknowledging the choices that they make as an actor, moment by moment, scene by scene, day by day, but you're also acknowledging the choices they make as a person the education they pursued, the training they sought, the hours they put in. I'm grateful for the acknowledgement of the choices I've made, and I'm also grateful to have lived at a moment in our society where choice exists, because as women and as girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice. I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making, not just a series of events that happened to me, but one that I could stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over, sometimes messy and scrawling, sometimes careful and precise, but one that I had carved with my own hand. And I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. To choose when to have my children and with whom, when I felt supported and able to balance our lives, knowing as all mothers know that the scales must and will tip towards our children. Now, I know my choices might look different than yours, but thank God or whomever you pray to that we live in a country founded on the principle that I am free to live by my faith and you are free to live by yours. So. Women, 18 to 118, when it is time to vote, please do so in your own self-interest. It's what men have been doing for years. It's what men have been doing for years, which is why the world looks so much like them. But don't forget, we are the largest voting body in this country. Let's make it look more like us. 
Tommy and Matilda, I can't wait to come home to you. Just a bunch of condescending idiots. Uh, the one I wanted to cover, I have to admonish Golden Globe winner Sunday night not to bring up politics. Uh, know nothing about the real world actress Michelle Williams did just about that with a two minute long screen supporting abortion while accepting the award for best actress in a limited series or motion picture made for TV. Williams, ironically, is pregnant, started out talking about choices and acting before transitioning to bodily choice, then seemingly admitted to her own abortionist abortion when she said she wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. I couldn't have got pregnant if I didn't abort my first baby. Then you got Cardi B. Nah, these memes are fucking, but shit ain't no joke, especially being from New York. It's sad this man is putting American lives in danger. Dumbest move Trump did to date. I'm filing for my Nigerian citizenship. (laughs) Okay. Rita Wilson. These are .01 percenter problems. My hair and makeup person is one hour and 20 minutes late. Hair and makeup still not here. Trying to be zen. Rita Wilson. Book this person in September. Hair and makeup still not here. We're just spitballing here, but maybe you can do your own hair and makeup. But what do we know? As for this hair and makeup artist future in Hollywood, good luck. Christy Teigen. I not I cannot go on until I know who I have no life. That's, that's what she said. Time. Chernobyl just won Best Television Limited Series and Motion Picture made for television at Golden Globes. In a review for Time, Judy Berman wrote that the show demonstrates what happens when society stops listening to science. <laughs> okay. Ryan Fortney. George Lopez said he'd assassinate President Trump for half of the $80 million bounty. Secret Service visits him. Chacon World Star. Iranian authorities have put a bounty on Trump's head. During the televised funeral of Salami after he was assassinated last week. What are your thoughts, George Lopez? We'll do it for half. Absolutely, it's not a joke. Some freaking idiot will take it seriously. This has got to stop. Charlie Kirk. Between 384 and 807 civilians were killed during 563 targeted strikes by Barack Obama. Trump used one surgical strike to kill the world's leading sponsor of terror. Which president do you think George Lopez volunteered to assassinate? No word on what happened. Also for the Globes, before we segue to other stuff, is the fact that they upped security for the show. My wife thought that was just kind of cute. These are the people that say none of us should have guns because they're surrounded by guns. I mean, I don't have to worry about guns. I got guns everywhere. Yeah. New Zealand gun buyback, but was a total flop. This is the final report. 
110 million to buy assault weapons from illegal from illegal owners. Last Friday was the final day gun owners could turn the weapons to New Zealand government officials. The government was offering between 25% and 95% of retail value for each gun depending on age, quality and condition. The prime op Prime Minister's office estimated that New Zealanders surrendered between 47,000 and 56,000 guns, a number that on its face seems significant since the same government, Town Hall reports, estimated the number of banned guns is somewhere between 50 and 150,000. The exact number is unknown because the government did not pass an accompanying gun owner registry. That means New Zealand collected at least 50% of the banned guns, but that's only if you focus on one small segment of the gun owners and rely on several outdated statistics so they didn't they remember all the liberals said well they're just going to turn them in look at new zealand we need to be new zealand hmm don't think it worked unlike sanctuary cities for illegals the washington post considers the movement propelling second amendment sanctuaries a fad and mainly symbolic that only proves further how much out of touch wapo is because democracy dies in the dark if you don't report on it more and more municipalities are declaring themselves gun sanctuaries, especially in Virginia, where Ralph Coonman Northman and a majority of Democrat legislators have made noise about gun confiscation. Virginia governor plans to use roadblocks and U.N. troops to seize guns. Dave Hodge interviews Mike Adams, full interview, and that's what they say. They're going to use the U.N. They're going to come in and do roadblocks and turn it into fucking Venezuela and shit. You're going to get butt searched to get them guns. So... Monday night in Virginia Beach and a video screen had to be set up outside for the huge overflow crowd. Nearly 100 citizens had signed up to give a three-minute statements and there were thousands there. Cheryl Atkinson, overflow crowd now at Virginia Beach Second Amendment Sanctuary City Vote. Watch for an upcoming segment on Full Measure News. So, yeah. Same time, this is, I found this article. Columbine survivor. I wish there was a good guy with a gun like the one who stopped the Texas church shooting on a day of infamous school massacre. But you won't hear that with the left. Here is Jared Yates Sexton. We haven't talked about him since the election because he's a liberal mind. All right, let's talk about Trump Jr. posing with a gun adorned with crusader iconography as American teeters on the brink of religious war. Why the imprisoned Hillary Clinton image plays into apocalyptic white identity Christianity and how this country got so screwed up. I've been talking about this a while, but I've taken to calling white identity Christianity, particularly the strain that's given itself a full, in full to Trumpism as the cult of shining city. They live in a fictional reality where they're fighting a supernatural war. The origin of this group's madness comes from the linking of white nationalism and Christianity, a merging of myth that originates in the concept that American is God-chosen country and Americans God's chosen people. We're pretty familiar with the idea of American exceptionalism, but we need to remember that it's led to. The birth of Manifest Destiny in the 19th century was an offshoot of Romanticism, which led to, uh, you got it, Nazism. Yeah, okay. Uh, by believing America was God's chosen people, we've una- un- enabled unbelievably wrongs because America as the arbiter of right and wrong can do anything it needs to advance. This includes genocide of native people, enslavement, subjugation of other countries, war crimes. 
In the 60s, civil rights leaders used Christianity as a means to, of equality. White segregation at preachers changed Christianity's tendency from kindness to means of gaining power and wealth. It morphed into white identity movement meant to maintain white supremacy. As the culture wars in the 60s, 70s grew in intensity, white identity evangelicals pushed the concept that liberalism was not only wrong but destructive to society and liable to destroy America. Because it was a white supremacist movement in disguise, social justice was included. See, every the boogeyman is Nazis and white supremacists. They put it in everything. They don't have to prove it. They just have to say it. During this time, white identity evangelicals started adopting apocalyptic appeals to maintain control. Parishioners were told to eschew intellectualism, liberalism, for it means to for Satan to gain control. At this point, liberals and the devil become interchangeable. Until Ronald Reagan, whose occult obsession blend nationalism and mysticism, his partnership with white evangelicals combined the ideas leading America into a decade obsessed with satanic threats, apocalyptic culture, and political battles framed as good versus evil. The evangelicals I'm talk, talking to, and this is another tweet that he had later down responding to somebody, the evangelicals I'm talking to see the escalation of Iran as a fulfillment of end-of-days prophecy, cementing their perception of Trump as a faulty messiah used by God. Many are bragging openly about their foresight and prepping. Others are purchasing more weapons. Does anybody believe he actually, does anybody believe this guy, a gay guy, literally knows any Christians? Does this guy even research any of this, or did he get it from some instructor in African American studies? What do you think? Yeah, that's how they're going to try to fight guns. White supremacy. I need my AR because I'm a white supremacist. Coming to a theater near you. Um, out of order, and we're starting to go into climate. That's why it's out of order. Hollywood Heroes, Golden Globes to feature plant-based menu to save the planet. Yeah. They're so proud of themselves for this. They're practicing gushing, practically gushing. Hollywood Foreign Press Association President Lorenzo, Lorenzo Soria declared, if there's a way we can not change the world but save the planet, maybe we can get the Golden Globes to send a signal and draw attention to the issue. The food we eat, the way we grow the food, blah, blah, blah. So everything on the menu was plant place. Now, that's a Hollywood ending. On the menu, chilled golden beet soup and king oyster mushrooms, scallops and wild mushroom risotto, along with roasted baby purple and green Brussels sprouts and carrots. seen videos. I haven't seen anybody eat. I'm just throwing it out there. Then we get into the big lies. And they're still pushing it. You heard it at the Globe. We've talked about it for like three podcasts, but I just want to keep reestablishing it. It's a lie. This climate apocalypse, they're just lying. Hillary Clinton, Australia bushfire emergency spurred by climate change has killed 24 people, destroyed thousands of homes, and led to the loss of an estimated half billion animals. Here are the ways you can help. David Harsania. I can never say his name. Here is saying. Whatever. More than 180 alleged arsonists have been arrested since the start of the brush fire season with 29 blazes deliberately lit in the Shoalhaven region of southwest 
New Zealand. In just three months, police arrested 183 people for lighting brush fires across Queensland, Victoria, South Australia, and Tasmania in the past few months. NSW police data show 180 people have been charged or cautioned for brush fire-related offenses since November 8th and 24 arrested for deliberately starting fires. Queensland police say 101 people have been picked up for setting fires in brush, 32 adults, and 69 juveniles. Everybody was talking about Jennifer Aniston, reading that. It's just a lie. It's not true. It's not caused but climate change, it was arson, and people cut it, burning brush, and it got out of hand. It's the same with California. It's never just, lightning strikes are going to cause fire regardless of climate change. You're not going to stop lightning. We had lightning during global cooling. So, I mean, come on. By the way, AOC got a dog. I just want to make sure everybody understands that. She picked up a dog. And remember, dogs are killing the planet. That's what they're saying. Not supposed to have them. Climate alarmist Eric Holthouse highlighted a new study today that says aerosols in the atmosphere have a net cooling effect on the planet. And without them, global warming would be magnified. Really? This is a pretty important result. Aerosols, tiny specks of dust, smoke, salt, and organic molecules... I mean, that cooling effect on the planet, without them, global warming would be magnified. The paper finds what that their effect might be about 40% stronger than we thought. If we're going to rapidly reduce emissions in the next decade, which we will, that means we'll be producing less smoke and air pollution from burning fossil fuels. We'll clear the air of lots of aerosols. That will happen very quickly. This is the catch-22 of our climate emergency. Continued near-term warming is inevitable, either through continuing to burn fossil fuels or by unleashing the aerosol effect via rapid emissions and reductions. This is a highly dynamic and controversial area of climate science. There was another study a few months ago that found that this effect would probably remain small and only last for five years or so. But it's increasingly clear that there's no way around the mess that continues unrestrained capitalism has caused. Every year we wait to take bold action, make the problem exponentially worse. We're in a climate emergency, and we must act as though our lives depend on it. Unrestrained capitalism. China puts out three times the pollution we do. They're not capitalists, you fucking moron. Iana Glazer's stand-up special on climate, Dinosaurs in the Office, just wants us to die. This is a review. The Planet is Burning as a special. Released January 3rd, which earned its lowest star on Amazon Prime. I was not expecting to find humor particularly to my liking, but I wasn't expecting to find subjectively unfunny either. It looked like it was a film in a pretty small venue, and the meager audience barely even laughed at her jokes. Let's see what she had to say. Guys who like resentful fucking their wives and then run to work and create policy against women bodies, those guys are gay, right? I have no idea. I don't know what's going on there. What's the diagnosis? Ten whole minutes out of a one-hour special was what what did not make this woman happy was the full ten minutes that she took to discuss periods. We were also subjected to Glazer's thoughts on Nazis in today's America. She's disappointed that they don't have cohesive branding like Hitler Nazis did. And that's, that's liberal comedy, I guess. 
<sighs> to weird liberal stuff. And this is this this just sums up liberals. Joanne Pizanza, new for me. We asked folks to identify Iran on an unlabeled map. 28% of them got it right. Here's where they guessed. Who fared the best? Men. Wealthy voters and mo- more educated voters. In there, can't wait for the upcoming New York Times piece, Geography is Sexist. And you can guarantee that it's coming out to a theater near you, or a paper near you. It's going to come. That Her putting that out is going to get her ass in a sling. Star Wars actor John Boyega deemed a misogynist for raunchy joke about character Ray. John Boyega seems to be pushing all the wrong buttons this week from Raylo, Raylo fans to feminists before his throwing caution to the wind on New Year's Eve by opening mocking the Disney trilogy. The actor stepped into heavy social media fire when he made a rather raunchy joke regarding Ray. According to Insider, Boyega posted a video of himself dancing on Instagram to celebrate New Year's, which prompted one fan to make a joke about Boyega's character, Finn can now date the character Ray due to Kylo Ren being out of the picture. Uh, I don't want to give out the spoiler. My boy, after realizing Kylo died so he can date Ray, said the fan, to which Boyega replied, it's not about who she kisses, but who eventually lays the pipe. And because of that, the world went crazy. Bro, you're extremely disgusting and gross. Also fucking disrespectful. You cannot be this jealous of Adam Driver, dude. As a black woman, I'm fucking ashamed that someone like you represented us in Star Wars. You obviously don't know the difference between fictional world and reality. Boyega, in response, Daisy knows she's the character. Laugh out loud. So, TBH, she doesn't give a fuck. In a later tweet, Boyega defended his joke saying... I will say 50,000 times, two consenting adults can lay down whatever the hell they want to. You all are sensitive. Can you believe somebody would get offended by laying the pipe? Laying the pipe. Really? Gonna lay the pipe. Oh, I'm sorry, we're supposed to call it dick? You didn't come up with a better name for a penis, you just called it dick. Time's Up reveals safety guide for entertainment industry employees. A three-part resource covers additions and nude and intimate and simulated sex scenes and also details how to report sexual misconduct and harassment. A little over two years after individuals in the entertainment industry unched up the Time's Up Foundation to end inequality in the workplace, the organization is unveiling an educational resource, the Time's Up Guide to Working Entertainment covers areas where the foundation says Hollywood employees have historically been exploited and harassed. Yeah. Okay. Plastic Bag Band. This is brought to you by Sean in Oregon. What business need to know, and this is about Oregon, plastic single-use checkout bags cannot be provided by retailer, grocery stores, or restaurants. This include any plastic checkout bag that is less than 4 mil, even if labeled comp- compositable, biodegradable, or even made from plants. 
paper checkout bags may be provided by retailers and groceries for five cents fee per bag. Paper bags must be made with at least 40% post-consumer recycled fiber. Reusable bags may be provided for five cents or more fee per bag. Reusable bags include thick plastic four mil or more fabric bags. Exceptions. EBT Wick. Yeah, they can not have to pay for the bags. Why ban plastic bags? Lightweight plastic bags frequently wrap around sorting machinery and recycling facilities, causing the equipment to jam. The machinery then must be manually cleared, accounting for almost a third of the labor cost of the facility and increased risk to staff injuries. Because they're extremely lightweight, plastic bags can act like balloons blowing out of garbage cans, trucks, and landfills. These flyaway bags litter our open spaces and our storm drains can eventually end up in rivers. They break down in small toxic pieces that are consumed by wildlife and aquatic animals. And they didn't put a turtle picture, which I was really surprised. Uh, it goes on to, do businesses need to keep track of fees collected? What happens to businesses don't comply? $100 for the first violation after a written warning. 200 for a second violation. 500 for any subsequent within the same calendar year. No more than one penalty should be imposed on any single location within a seven-day period. And then, of course, how can I report? And they gave a number so you can rat on businesses who say, fuck you and your bags. Yeah. But it's not the only state doing stupid shit. Here's one for California. All right, this one, I'm not sure how I feel about this. You're not going to be allowed to shower and do a load of laundry in the same day. I, I, I had the, the same misgivings. Um, doing a load of laundry takes about 40 to, to 50 gallons of water. Uh, taking a shower for about eight minutes takes about 17 gallons of water. Well, there's a limitation on your daily use of water of 55 gallons per day. So that means if you are taking a shower and if doing a load of laundry, you can't do both without being in violation of the law. Um, there are some exceptions about this. There are some caveats. Uh, for instance, if you have a multi-person household, if you have four people in your household or three people in your household, that 55-gallon limit per day applies in, in, for each person. So it, you could do a load of laundry um, if you have a multi-person uh, household. And, and okay. So who's going to believe that? Yeah. Like cuff Mark Christie when he's yeah, 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 no, 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 that one? What's going on? Who's enforcing this? Well, yeah. you, you can actually see your, your water uses on a daily rate uh, with your water meter. Uh, now, there are actually fines available for this as well. Your, mm -hmm. your first, your, your violation is $1,000 per each day that you are in violation. Wait, who who made this a law? Let's, uh, let's talk to them. <laughs> it's the state legislature. The governor signed this into effect. It goes into effect January 1st. Now, there's also another caveat. If we're in drought conditions and the governor declares an emergency, that fine can go up to $10,000 a day. So be careful. You know, you, oh could, my. You, you could change your word to serenity to anger now. Wow. You're not going to be able to shower in 2020. Well, you know what? I'm going to pick doing laundry over showering. So, so all of a sudden, I can smoke marijuana as much as I want, but I can't take a shower. Yeah, it's, it's Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's yes. where our country <laughs> I just noticed I got this shit all. <laughs> I got some climate here. I got some climate. I'm sorry. I made this podcast and added to it. And then Iran came and I got, it's all fucked up. So, I mean, if you really think about it, climate is liberal shit. So, you know, throwing it all over the place doesn't really matter. 
Amazon reportedly censors employees over environmentalism. Big tech censorship has reared its head online and in media, and if reports are to be believed, tech companies may also be targeting their own employees to silence dissenting opinions in the workplace. An employee alleged, according to Washington Post, that Amazon threatened her with termination for merely contriking the company's environmental policies. If I continue to speak up, I would be fired. WAPO, coincidentally owned by Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, to its credit, published the article, Amazon threatening to fire critics who are outspoken on environmental. At least two employees who publicly criticized the company's environmental policies have been warned that they could be fired for future violations of its communication policy. Um... The earlier version of this policy, which has not been routinely enforced with activist employees, required workers to request approval email for senior vice presidents to comment publicly. Amazon software developer Jamie Kowalski and principal user experience design Maren Costa both blasted um, the company for its corporate practice. Amazon environmentalist group Amazon employee for climate justice wrote in October, Amazon's position is based on false premise and distracts from the fact that Amazon wants to profit in businesses that are directly contributing to climate catastrophe. The climate catastrophe. See, they already rebranded. Look at that. Wow. I didn't hear the meeting on that. Remember we did a, uh, a segment a couple podcasts ago about that. They demand Amazon commit to being carbon neutral by 2030 to end cloud computing contracts that help energy companies accelerate oil and gas extraction and stop funding politicians and lobbyists who deny climate change. Uh, following this outcry from employees, an email was alleged sent to Costa, which warned formal corrective action up to and including termination for employment for Amazon if you don't shut the fuck up. They didn't say that, but that's what they meant. Response to the warning from her company, Costa wrote an email. It was scary to be called in a meeting like that and then to be given a follow-up email saying that if I continue to speak out, I could be fired. She doubled down, suggesting that she does not regret her action. It's our moral responsibility to speak up, regardless of Amazon's attempt to censor us, especially when climate poses such an unprecedented threat to humanity. Here's the reality. Bezos is a huge libtard. But he's about making money, bro. And you could see, why would they stop the cloud services and all this shit? I I understand, and I it sounds hypocritical when I say, I understand the Christian baker who doesn't want to make a gay cake. On religious means, I understand some people doing that. But when you really break it down, folks... I'd sell the Martians. I don't give a fuck. If it's my business, I'm going to sell shit. That's what I'm in the business of. Sell, 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 and more sell with sell. That That's what I want to do. I'm going to keep selling, and I don't care who the fuck wants it. So, of course, Bezos, he's going to talk all that shit and put out policy letters and all the stuff we talk about on this show, but when it really comes down to brass tacks... Yeah, he's not going to turn people's money away. He wants to make money. I mean, what the fuck? So here's some more climate shit. I got these sound bites I've been carrying for a while. It's more about the fires that are all lies. And then Colbert, which I don't watch. We brought Fawn on. And Jesus Christ, just shut up. 
Now, I should mention that the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who has uh, been heavily criticised for, for his lack of leadership, for his government's inaction on climate change, well, he was berated and heckled today at a town that was devastated by those fires on New Year's Eve. Uh, residents there is telling him uh, that he should be ashamed of himself, uh, that he allowed them to burn. So he is definitely feeling the pressure. People really across Australia just feel this government uh, is not doing enough to help these people. I want to talk to you about a, a subject near and dear to your heart, and it should be near and dear to all of our hearts. It should. You've started these fire drill Fridays uh, about climate change. Tell me what your objective is here. Well, humankind is facing the greatest crisis that we've ever faced, and there were all these young students that were sacrificing a lot and working so hard. <laughs> Hi. I'm interested. I'm leaning because okay. I'm interested. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time now with these young students, and they're scared. And, and, they're, and a lot of young people are even suffering from, they're calling it extinction illness. And I just felt I wasn't doing enough. And the scientists were saying we have 10 years, and before it's going to go so far over the cliff that there's no turning back. We'll just, the, the environment and climate will unravel and there's nothing we can do. And so I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm famous. I have a platform. I'm going to move to D.C. I'm going to put my body on the line and I'm going to do these things. And in the process, I'm going to learn a lot too. And the young people have been with me all the way. And it's incredible what's happened. Well, it's what? really, it's really, people are coming. How's it going? Every Friday, I thought it would kind of peter off. Every Friday, there's more and more people, and they come from all over. And most of them have never engaged in civil disobedience before and risk getting arrested. How many times have you been arrested so far? I think five. <laughs> and... Is there a point? At, is there a point at which they give you a free sub or something? When do? <laughs> what happens? Are, are, the, are the police down there? Are they? Are they fed up with you, leading these protests? They actually, you know, look. I'm white, and I'm famous. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you know what happens to me is different than what would happen if I was a person of color, and I wasn't famous. That was CNN that climate skeptics to blame for the Australian wildfire. Really. And then Meatloaf stepped on his dick. During an interview, he also expressed his belief that 16-year-old climate change Greta Thunberg had been brainwashed. Because he doesn't believe climate change is real. I feel for that, Greta. She's been brainwashed to think that there's climate change and there isn't. She hasn't done anything wrong, but she's been forced into thinking that what she is saying is true. You may be surprised to learn from Meatloaf is not a climate scientist and, in fact, has no more far formal science training of sort. That's what the article said. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. You fucking people, man. But he's right. She has been brainwashed. I mean, let's just be honest. That's what has happened to her from birth. Her parents have used her like the fucking crazy-ass Desmond Amazing. He's a fucking prop. 
This one was on CNN and I was fucking shocked. But I tweeted to this and it's been retweeted a bunch of times. That as a child I was supposed to be living in an igloo because of global cooling. Then Al Gore told me I was going to be underwater because of global warming. And now in 12 years I'm going to die because of climate hysteria. Nothing has been rebranded more than climate hysteria. Nothing. And we just talked about it. Climate crisis. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's like 800 names. But they had to put this online, and they didn't do it in their show, as they, you know, you're the last one. It's, you know, from CNN. It's Australian wildfires. Skeptics are to be blamed. You fucking flat earthers. Glacier National Park is replacing sign that predicted their glaciers would be gone in 2020. The signs of Montana Park were added more than a decade ago to reflect climate change forecast at the time by the U.S. Geological Survey. In 2017, the park was told by an agency that the complete melting off the glaciers was no longer expected to take place so quickly due to the change in forecast models. But tight maintenance budgets made it impossible for the park to immediately change the signs. The most prominent placards at St. Mary Visitor Center were changed last year. Kurtzman said the park is still waiting for a budget authorization to update signs at two other locations. See, it's Trump's fault. But the glacier warning isn't being removed entirely, she told CNN. Instead, the new sign will say, when they will completely disappear depends on how and when we act. One thing is consistent. The glaciers in the park are shrinking. Next line, bullet comment. Humans are responsible, and they go into their whole shtick that, oh yeah, we may be wrong, but we're all going to die anyway, you motherfuckers. Then we get into abortion, and I usually do this as a whole segment, but you know, I do it every year, and what's the what's the point, man? I mean, I'm seriously, we're going to keep handing money to, the, to Planned Parenthood. We're just going to keep handing them, they're still going to be killing babies, but... I'm going to do the full report in about two weeks, because on January 24th is the March for Life, which I will cover every year, because you're not going to see it on our media. All right. But before I cover it, 207 members of Congress urged SCOTUS to reconsider Roe v. Wade. Congressional publishers have now taken aim at the infamous decision Roe v. Wade by urging the Supreme Court to revisit the nearly 50-year-old case that enshrines abortion as a constitutional right. 39 Republican senators and 168 members of the House of Representatives, almost all of them Republican, signed a so-called friend-of-the-court brief filed on Thursday by the national anti-abortion group Americans United for Life in connection with the challenge to a Louisiana abortion access law due to be heard in March. The Louisiana case before the court does not directly target Roe, the report continued. The law at issue requires a doctor to have admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles of a facility where the abortion is performed, which critics say is not medically justified. Two Democrats, Colin Peterson and Dan Lipinski, signed the brief alongside Republican Steve Scalise, Liz Cheney, Chabot, Cruz, Scott, Romney, Lee... Oh, I'm sorry. Romney and Lee were the only two senators 
from the same state to sign the brief. According to the brief, Roe jurisprudence has been haphazard from the beginning due to becoming a radically unsettled precedent, has been substantially undermined by subsequent authority, arguing the previous court ruling clearly did not settle the issue. Reconsider those precedents. The brief is no surprise because anti-abortion politicians have all either taken direct aim at Roe or attempted to push abortion access out of reach, said Amiri from the ACLU. Notably, the brief goes further than the state of Louisiana has pushed by suggesting that Roe should be reconsidered even though the question in case doesn't regularly raise whether Roe Wade should be overturned. Katie Glenn, Government Affairs Counsel for the group American United for Life, said there is no expectation the case will overturn. However, the court has the opportunity to reconsider the case that have come before this case, and particularly related to the workability of Roe and other precedents. Senator Glenn said, said Glenn, though Senate Majority Leader McConnell did not sign the brief, a spokesman with his office, Senator McConnell's proud pro-life record strongly supports the amicus brief filed by his colleagues. The reality is, most Republicans, all pro-lifers, but the extreme, we just want limits. Just set a limit. If you want to, you know, these Supreme Court rulings on marriage and abortion and twisting the 14th Amendment to be all this other bullshit, I got no problem with that. Because once again, I don't give a fuck. Go abort a million babies. I don't give a fuck if you want to fuck a goat, marry a goat, or be a goat. I don't care. But we have to have restrictions on when you can abort babies. This live birth abortion, which supposed Catholic Cuomo says codifies Roe. Well, I doubt anybody at that time when they passed this and said it was constitutional right believed we would be in the year 2020 pushing for abortion to college. Yeah, you know, my kid's about to, you know, graduate college, but I don't like that motherfucker. Kill him! Nobody saw that. So, in rules, PPFA's report, no media outline. I would never have found this other than LifeSite News on a whim. I looked for it. 939,258 abortions, mechanically and chemically. And here it goes. Reveals the organization has now committed its highest number of abortions on record while also receiving more taxpayer funding than any other year on record. <clears throat> Lena Wynn admitted it was the organization's overwhelming desire to focus on abortion rather than broaden its role in providing actual health care, which led to her getting canned. So it comes as no surprise that the abortion is again revealed as the top focus of Planned Parenthood. Sorry, I got a piece of dip in my throat. <clears throat> By its 2018 numbers. In 2018, Planned Parenthood committed 345,672 abortion, the highest committed by the corporation in recent years, up 4% from 2017's 332, 757, and 3.5% from 333,964 in 2011. In the past 10 years, abortions at PPFA have risen nearly 7% from 324,008 abortions in 2008 to 345,672 in 2018. 
The corpus is long and falsely claimed that abortion make up just 3% of its services, a claim that has been debunked multiple times. Planned Parenthood's abortion market share currently stands at 40% when compared to the most recent data from the Guttmacher Institute. That means Planned Parenthood alone commits 40% of all abortions in the United States. Think about that. And we finance it. No money goes to the NRA. No money goes for any conservative. March for Life doesn't get a dime. But we finance that. <clears throat> this number may increase after the Guttmacher Institute releases new national abortion statistics. Since 2000, Planned Parenthood has committed over 5.6 million abortions. An analyst by Live Action News found that in 2017, the corporation estimated abortion revenue reached nearly $200 million, totally 52% of its non-government health service revenue. An updated summaries of PP's 2018 abortion revenue will be published soon. But they still made a shit ton of money. Which we'll get to in a second. But I want to make sure we understand their statistics are false. They've always been false. Planned Parenthood's 3% statistic is false. While Planned Parenthood public relations machine pushes a 3% statistic for him to claim that abortions compromise only 3% of the organization's services to society at large, behind closed doors, they and their supporters acknowledge the statistic is totally false. The abortion industry is no longer hiding behind the family planning services. They are super proud of the abortions they commit. One woman in a panel who worked for Planned Parenthood even said they should stop saying abortion is only 3% of the service. She said Planned Parenthood shouldn't try to hide that the majority of what they do in, in the clinics is provide abortions. Another thing I learned, these women are super honest about what the abortion industry is all about when they think no pro-lifers are around. The 3% statistic to which even the Washington Post fact-checker gave three Pinocchios was debunked by live action in the following video. Um... You know, let's just go ahead and play this video. America's largest abortion chain, Planned Parenthood, claims over and over and over again that abortion is only 3% of the services that they offer. That's your self-reported abortion statistic. 3% of all the procedures we provide. It's in their annual report. It's on their website. And their supporters say it all the time. And abortions only comprise 3% of Planned Parenthood's health services. Abortion services only account for about 3%. Because only 3% of what Planned Parenthood does is abortions. 3% of patients visit Planned Parenthood for a safe and legal abortion. Here's why that statistic is completely bogus, and why the senior editor of the online magazine Slate said that the 3% stat was the, quote, most meaningless abortion statistic ever, and why the Washington Post fact-checker gave Planned Parenthood's 3% statistic three Pinocchios, marking it as, quote, very misleading. Let's look at the numbers. According to their own annual report, Planned Parenthood commits over 300,000 abortions per year. Last year alone, they did 323,999 abortions, which averages to 887 abortions per day, 37 abortions per hour, one abortion every 97 seconds. Again, Planned Parenthood commits one abortion every 97 seconds. But how much of what Planned Parenthood does is abortion? Well, let's divide the number of abortions they do in a year by the number of patients they see in a year. 323,999 abortions for 2.5 million patients means that one in eight patients who walk into Planned Parenthood will undergo an abortion. Not one in 33, Elizabeth Warren, one in eight. 
it's easy to see where Planned Parenthood's priorities are. They commit 160 abortions for every one adoption referral. Though Planned Parenthood constantly talks about their breast exams and pap tests, they only do less than 1% of the nation's pap tests and 1.8% of the nation's breast exams, while they do 30.6%, a third, of the nation's abortions. But that's a public relations problem. So Planned Parenthood came up with a creative way to make their big business, abortion, look very small. To get the 3% figure, Planned Parenthood divides abortions by the number of so-called services, which they define as a discrete clinical interaction. And they count all these services equally, regardless of the cost, time, or effort it takes to render that service. So an entire abortion procedure, which can cost from $390 to $1,500, is counted the same as a pregnancy test, which a girl could get at a pharmacy for $10. In this way, Planned Parenthood is able to count 9.4 million services. Divide 323,999 abortions by 9.4 million services, and they get 3%. It's easy to see why this math is completely ridiculous. Say a woman goes to Planned Parenthood to get an abortion. She gets her pregnancy test, the abortion procedure, an STI test, and some contraceptives. In one visit, she gets four services, one of which is the actual abortion. So Planned Parenthood would say that abortion was only 25% of what they did for that woman, who came into the clinic only for an abortion. Well, by this math, even if 100% of Planned Parenthood patients got an abortion, they would still say abortion is only 25% of their services. Such distorted calculations could be used to obscure the purpose of any business. It would be like the NFL saying that because they sold 5 million hot dogs in a season and there were only 256 games, football is only 0.005% of what they do. Or it would be like a steakhouse saying, actually, steak is only a very small percentage of what we serve because we also serve salad, mashed potatoes, french fries, beer, wine, soda, water, butter, salt, pepper, ketchup, toothpicks, and breath mints. We'd say, yeah right, you're a steakhouse. Just like Planned Parenthood is an abortion corporation. I don't care if you're right or you're left. Statistics are bullshit. You can make numbers make whatever you want. I used to fucking do NCOERs in the Army. Your resume, if you ever worked in sales, when I did re- <clears throat> reviews for my people, um, P&Ls, let's be honest, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. You just make numbers fit what you want to say they are, and then you change that shit at six months as a corporation to make you look like you did good so everybody can get a bonus. I mean, it's just fucking horse shit. Um, But they have a nice little graft in here. Um, In 2000, Planned Parenthood was 15% of America's abortions. But in 18 years... They have gone up to 40%. In 2000, they got $202.7 million. They had 38.9 excess revenue over expenses. They did not report this year. But understand... uh, they got 244.8 last year excess revenue over expenses and I don't know if that's in millions or what it's supposed to be but the government funding and then we'll go back to this graph is insane they received in 2018 the highest number of taxpayer dollars to date right in the groups 
revenue by source, either government or non-government, rather than the manner of disbursement, income versus grants and contracts. Payments from the Medicaid managed care plans are listed as government health service reimbursement and grants to reflect the ultimate source of the fund. Taxpayer dollars to PP increased 9.5% from $563.8 million in 2017 to $616.8 million in taxpayer dollars. Private donations, although significant, fell 6% from $630.8 million to $591.3 million in 2018, which fully shows they don't need our money. In the past 10 years, taxpayer dollars to PP have increased nearly 70% from $363.2 million in 2008 to $616.8 8 million in 2018. Planned Parenthood received nearly 1.7 million dollars every day from US tax players. In 2018, PP's total revenue exceeded 1.6 billion. Their assets are over 2 billion. Their excess abortion revenue in 2017, Planned Parenthood collected a whopping $244.8 million in excess revenue over spending. But Planned Parenthood's most recent report fails to reveal what the figure, what that figure was in 2018. Live Action News has documented that almost every year since 2000, Planned Parenthood revenue has exceeded its expenses by tens of millions. In 2019, Planned Parenthood voluntarily walked away from $60 million and federal title 10 family planning tax dollars rather than comply with the reasonable rule to put in place by Trump administration they had to talk about uh, adoption. Facilities and patients. While Planned Parenthood builds itself as a health care provider for women, the organization's male clients are growing segment. Planned Parenthood's published client male-female numbers remain the same in 2018 at 2.4 million despite declining nearly 23%, 22.58 from the 3.1 million served in 2006 and 20% from the 3 million clients that claimed just 10 years ago. While Planned Parenthood's patient numbers are steadily declining, federally funded health centers that identified by federal health resources and service administration served over 28 million patients in 2018 alone between 2008 and 2018. They shuttered 265 centers despite one once operating 900 facilities. They have 600 now. Contraception and STI services increased 5% to 4,712,985. Uh, in 2017 to 4,960,598 in 2018. In the past 10 years, STI testing rose 33%. Contraception services decreased 2% from 2,620,867 to 252,556,413. In particular, emergency contraception services decreased 6% between 2007 and 18 and nearly 59% over the past 10 years from 1 
to 593,586. Now, for me, that's what I add to the total abortions because that is a chemical abortion that we are paying for because that's not covered under Hyde. Hyde Amendment did mechanical abortions, taking the vacuum cleaner with razor blades and sucking the fetus out. We don't want that federally funded, but they've got their work around once the morning after pill started. Total services rose 1.39% to 9,828,548. PAP tests decreased to uh, 255,682. Breast exams, Decreased 11% to 265,028. Um, but back when they were a woman's health center, they did 1 million breast exams in 2000. In the past 10 years, breast exams have fallen nearly 68%. Other diagnostic services, which include biopsies, sampling, ablations, and other gynecological surgery, surgeries rose slightly to 6,230. HPV treatments rose to 20,588. Cancel screenings dropped to 566,186. Prenatal care and adoptions. Planned Parenthood performed 1,074,952 pregnancy tests in 2017. They did 1,079,613 in 2018. Um, after years of consistent declines, adoption referrals increased 51% to 4,279. Now understand that's a sticking point for most people because let's be honest. There are states that you must talk about abortion, but almost every state where liberals run it, you can't talk about adoption. Miscarriage care and well woman services. Miscarriage care totaled 1,731 in 2017 and did 22,000, or sorry, 2,236 in 2018. Live Action News has previously documented the effort to conflate abortions with miscarriage. In addition, we previously reported how the abortion lobby is advising women who self-abort and have complications to present to the ER claiming to have a miscarriage. No wonder Planned Parenthood has added categories like miscarriage care, miscarriage management to its list. Some of these services involve surgically completing an abortion when the abortion pill fails to do the job completely. Well, woman exams dropped to 213,042 because they're not about women's health care. And others' women's health service went to 1,304,689. That's the same as last time. PPFA has been embroiled in numerous scandals, abuses, and fraud, including covering up for child sex predators, disgruntled employees who describe a toxic work environment and pregnancy discrimination there. In 2019, Planned Parenthood doubled down on its commitment to focus on its most profitable service, abortion, by releasing a master plan detailing its effort to expand, not reduce abortions. To date, Planned Parenthood commits nearly 81 abortions for every one adoption referral. In addition, it commits over 35 abortions for every 
prenatal care referral, while Planned Parenthood receives nearly $1.7 million a day from U.S. taxpayer and ends the lives of 947 babies every day at a rate of 39 per hour or one abortion every 91 seconds. Now understand, I'm a pro-life person who doesn't want it banned. I want it to be restricted to no abortions after 22 weeks. can happen in the United States. If you haven't decided about that, oh fucking well. Of course, health of the mother, rape, incest, maybe people think about it for a while. Yes, those can be extenuating circumstances, but I buy... 22 fucking weeks, 23 fucking weeks. That is no longer a clump of cells like they try to say a eight-month, three-week baby is. Because they call it life when it breathes. And to show how pervasive this is in our society, they will push every time somebody tries to restrict funding, but they don't talk about the six hundred plus million dollars we're handing this organization whose sole purpose is to do abortions in the United States today already 894 fucking abortions will be conducted by Planned Parenthood this year it is the ninth they've already done 7,879 abortions in the United States There's already been 21,356 abortions. After 16 weeks, this year, 1,026. Due to rape, only 207 black babies since 73. 18,569,066 babies. Worldwide. Since 1980, and the clock's going, it's just ticking as I'm talking. 1,520,915,115, it's still counting. This year, already, 925,652, 53, 54 babies. Since this page loaded, worldwide, 190. Four, five, six, and worldwide today, 38,435 babies and counting have been killed. That's an amazing statistic. It's amazingly gross that that happens. But going back to our graph... 197,070 abortions in 2000, 345,672. Now, and they used to be 15% and now they're 40% of all abortions. They used to get 202.7 million. Now they get 619 million, basically, of your money. It's it's fucking disgusting. And it's all brought by the media who lie for this institution. They will parse 
punctuation for NRA. But for PPFA, they can say whatever the fuck they want. And yes, boys and girls, they're the same fucking thing. The NRA is a group that pushes for gun rights. It is supposedly the most powerful in the world, yet we've shown on the show they don't even donate a tenth of what PPFA does each election cycle. We have proven on this show they give $30 million in donations to any candidate. And in 2016, NRA did, what, $15 million total? So, more to follow when we get the final report. But I'm just at a loss how the fuck we can hand over $619 million to a company that just kills babies. And once again, they're using that money. It is walled off, they say. That's a fucking lie. If I get a loan for $100 million for a business, but I can't spend it on this part of my business, it allows me to do that part of the business better because I don't have to spend my money on it. And once again, chemical abortions wasn't a thing during the Hyde Amendment. They didn't exist. It's not covered. And they don't even call it a chemical abortion. They're calling it emergency contraception. Thus, you and I are paying for it. Let's go to Everything is Racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. That weird soundbite was me being a smartass. Uh, there's these protesters that are in the Senate building, literally walking in circles until they bring up the case, which is actually being held by Nancy Pelosi, not Republicans. But they were clad in all black. And I was kind of questioning, since they're all white people, why do you have to wear black? Why is black such a negative thing? <laughs> WAPO shocked over NFL's lack of diversity in Obama's post-racial America. Norman Chad thought 2008 election of Barack Obama as president would bring about a post-racial America, but instead he finds the NFL offering evidence to the contrary. His commentary on the dearth of African-American head coaches of pro football strengthens the publication's credentials as dependable race-mongering voice. Chad's story immediately explains that his view America is a racist, racist nation. A friend asked him about his race obsession, and he remarked, Well, for starters, I think much of U.S. history, 87 years of slavery, the Civil War, and another century before the Civil Rights Act with Jim Crow in between mass incarcerations, answers that question. 
<clears throat> for all the valid criticism aimed at the social justice-minded NFL these days, racism should not be at the top of the list. 12% of American population is African-American, and 70% of the players are black, at times more than twice the national population figure, 25%, have held head coaches' positions in the league. Why does the higher disproportionate figure call for a drastic increase in a lower figure? Chad doesn't go there. But other industries would take the NFL's diversity into a heartbeat. The current number of African-American coaches is just three, and that's unimaginable in Chad's view of Obama's post-racist America. But it's really due to the recent firing of men with unacceptable win-loss records. Of the four black coaches fired, Todd Bowles was 14-34, Steve Wilkes was 3-13, and uh, Vance Joseph was 11 and 21, and Hugh Jackson was 3 and 36, with Cleveland 11 and 44 overall as a head coach. Forget the ineptitude here; it's racism, pure and simple. After Barack Obama was elected president in 2008, many thought post-racial America, in which prejudice fade as black and white becomes immaterial, had arrived. Look around; does this feel like post-racial America to you? I think not. Like a good identity politics practitioner, Chad admits that when he views people around him, he sees race and gender first. He projects this onto other people and claims that if they see a black guy, they use that as a foremost defining characteristic of that person. Shifting gears, Chad momentarily backtracks to racism to pin the dearth of black coaches on another reason. To be fair, the lack of black head coach is not just a product of racism. <clears throat> we tend to hire people we know, people with similar backgrounds. In a league with no black owners and one black general manager, that's a whole lot of white-only business meetings, golfings, golf outings, and dinner parties. Yeah. Mia Kind from ESPN, who I went to talk shit to today, uh, literally blocked me so I couldn't, but she did a whole article on this too. Then there's the woman that you're going to say, oh, you got it out of order. No, this is, she's racist somehow. The naked philanthropist. I got to admit, the only picture I've seen is her tushy with her for JJ covered with a happy face. And my wife doesn't listen, thank God, because that is one sexy behind. We have hit an estimated 500K, guys. I'm crying. This is fucking crazy. She sold nudes in Australia, because she's from Australia. To spend money on the forest fires, I guess. And if you send her $10, you get one nude picture from me to your DMs. I'm sending nudes to every person who donates at least $10 to any one of these fundraisers for the wildfires in Australia. Every $10 you donate, one nude picture from me to your DM. You must send me confirmation that you donated. Let me go on through this thing. Um, the fact that two people use the same photo to fake a donation is so disgusting. If you're that broke that you can't donate $10 to good cause to literally save a burning country, but instead scam me out of a free nude, you're the lowest of low, she says. Okay. The fundraiser started off slowly, but it's since allegedly accelerated. And by the time she gets around, she says she's had a million donate. I can't believe we raised half a million dollars. But because this is 2020, people start going through her other social media platforms. Molly. Oh my god, I can't believe we all forgot the naked philanthropist is actually really problematic. People say, well, she's not. She made a TikTok saying she's not white when she is laugh out loud. 
and was an Eskimo for Halloween. The word she used is offensive to indigenous persons. She was unintentionally racist. She goes, I'm not a racist. I wore the costume that was racist unintentionally. I did not know the meaning of it and how it could offend people. I sincerely apologize when I did it. I would never purposely wear that. This lady spread it all over the place because she's probably a fat, ugly bitch and this girl's hot. Then she says she raised a million dollars. Million off nudies. But all over Twitter, she's a fucking whore. She got banned off of uh, Instagram for showing nudity, I guess. For everyone saying I did this to promote my OnlyFans, y'all are insane. I raised over a million dollars, offered me, offered my product, my nude photos, for free and spent money and time sending that free product to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. It's not about her, she says. Y'all get jealous and miss the entire principle. This isn't even really about me. Y'all are telling me that I had OnlyFans and that you were me, you would not post about it because of this. Shut the fuck up. That is how I pay my bills, and now that I have 200k followers, I'm going to promote the fuck out of it. That doesn't take me away a dime that I raise, and oh, she thinks she deserves a Nobel Peace Prize too, and she does a change.org to get a Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, okay. Hollywood reporter decries alarming whiteness of Toy Story 4. Add Toy Story 4 to the list of ridiculous things called racists. In a January 3rd op-ed, this is the first thing in 2020 that's now super racist, while offering effusive praise for Toy Story 4 being exuberantly entertaining and creatively conceived, in the end, author Steve Galloway reported he was left with slightly bitter taste and the sense that something was nagging wrong. His problem? He thought Toy Story 4 offered an Eisenhower-era fantasy, a vision of America that might have come from the most die-hard reactionary, loving Lovely if you're wealthy and white, but alarming if you're black or brown or gay or a member of another minority. In other words, more than half the U.S. population. I'm not reading anymore. Jesus Christ. It's a cartoon about a fork and some toys. Clear-cut winner. USA Today calls Kaepernick most important athlete of the decade. An endless list of real legitimate sports heroes include legendary figures who are light years ahead of Kaepernick this last decade. Phelps, Brady, Biles, Curry, LeBron James, Bolt, Williams, Trout, Breeze, and so many more thundered to the championships to dominate their arena are more deserving than the embittered, disrespectful, malcontent Kaepernick. So how does Corman try to justify his selection? Though Kaepernick is one of the most polarizing figures in a polarized decade, driving debate everywhere from television to Twitter to the proverbial dinner counters and corner bars where America gathered, his protests in 2016 launched millions of discussions and worked as intended. Let's not pretend that culture remained unmoved, and at the very least, people were compelled to state what they believed. While the aforementioned superstars were busy winning trifling championships, Kaepernick protests gave rise to other voices in sports. Megan Rapperhoe was an early adopter. I'm surprised she didn't get it. Kaepernick's protests all began with the forceful words of Dallas sportscaster Dale Hansen, the left-winger 2017 tribe 
tirade went. The young black athletes are not disrespecting America or military by taking a knee during the anthem. They're respecting the best thing about America. It's a dog whistle to racist among us to say otherwise. They and all of us should protest how black Americans are treated in this country. If you don't think white privilege is a fact, you don't understand America. Alejandro Villanueva, former Army Ranger, became offensive tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers, was pushed by Kaepernick's action to reflect on his own service and fighting for the right of other Americans to peacefully protest. Unsaid by Corbin was Villanova having the guts to leave his locker room and put his hand over his heart. Yeah. Unsaid by Corman, okay, uh, Golden State Warrior head coach Steve Kerr rose to eloquent defense of Kaepernick and continues speaking out for justice. His former Seattle Seahawks cornerback Richard Sherman ripped off his own characteristic scathing appreciant rant about police brutality. Ex-NFL defensive lineman Chris Long became an important voice in the wake of Kaepernick controversy. So there you have it. The action of NFL champions, Olympic gold medalists, and the icons of tennis and baseball world just pale in importance to what the NFL outcast Kaepernick did in the past decade. And it's just fucking horseshit. So let's go to a music break, and we're going to close this pig out with more I Ran. the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed come fly with me let's fly let's fly away if you can use some exotic booze there's a bar in far bombay come on and fly with me let's fly let's fly away a lawyer on these things that might be, but this guy is, you know, was as bad as he was an official of the Iranian government. And you unleash then if China does that, you know, if Russia does that, you know, Russia has been implicated under Putin with assassinating dissidents. So once you're in the business of assassination, you unleash some very, very terrible forces. And what President Trump takes his saber-rattling to a new level in a series of tweets, the president warning the Iranians that if they strike back, quote, we have targeted 52 Iranian sites representing the 52 American hostages taken by Iran many years ago. We have team coverage this morning, including the increased security precautions being taken here at home. Also, George is standing by with analysis, but we begin with ABC's senior foreign correspondent, Ian Panel, who is on the ground in northern Iraq. Good morning, Ian. 
Yeah, good morning, Eva. That's right. I mean, Iraq is on edge today. Perhaps we've seen the first signs of small-scale retaliation overnight, but everyone here is expecting a decisive response, with clear warnings from one of the key pro-Iranian militias here that attacks against Americans will begin from this evening. This morning, thousands of mourners on the streets in Iran. Symbolic caskets aloft, weeping and chanting, I am Soleimani. Three days of mourning declared after a U.S. drone strike at Baghdad airport killed Iran's top general and other major officials on Thursday night. In a meeting today, members of the Iranian parliament unanimously chanted death to America with raised fists as their late leader's body was returned to southwest Iran. And a red flag, symbolic of a declaration of revenge or war, raised above a key Iranian mosque on Saturday. And overnight, perhaps the first signs of retaliation. Rocket attacks on the green zone in Baghdad that houses the U.S. embassy. And near Balad military base, though no U.S. diplomats or troops were harmed. Iran and its allies have sworn harsh revenge against the U.S., the head of the Revolutionary Guard threatening to put an end to American presence in the region. Hundreds of thousands of mourners have been taking to the streets as Soleimani is finally laid to rest. This image from space capturing the massive crowds paying their respects to Soleimani, vowing revenge against the U.S. There are reports that your Supreme Leader said it must be a direct proportional response carried out in the open. Does that mean Iran will acknowledge? Once we do it, yes, we will. We, we, don't, we don't carry cowardly acts of terror like the United States. I have been in the midst of anti-American protests in Iran before, but nothing like this. A powerful combination of grief and anger with shouts of death to America echoing through the streets around us. This morning, mourners filling the streets of Iran's capital of Tehran for the funeral of General Soleimani, killed by that U.S. drone strike last week. Aerial images capturing the sea of Iranians, packing the streets to pay tribute to a man revered by many here. Trump made a big mistake. He killed our hero. Soleimani's image everywhere. The impact of his death profound. The crowds are massive and emotional. There are many tears here, many signs with Soleimani's picture on them. But the message is also very clear. These people want revenge. As we made our way through the streets of Tehran, people surrounding us shouting death to America. We will have very hard revenge of Mr. Trump. Inside the funeral service, the emotion just as powerful. The supreme leader of Iran weeping and praying over a coffin draped in the Iraqi flag. This is the largest funeral in Iran since the death of the Ayatollah Khomeini in 1989. Today, calls for jihad. Members of the Iranian parliament also chanting death to America. And a red flag symbolizing a declaration of war raised above an Iranian mosque on so many mourners filled the streets of Iran 
They could be seen from space. Tonight, the mourning continues in Iran. The capital was filled today by a sea of mourners, the largest gathering in decades. The procession stretched nearly four miles as Iran's leaders made new vows to avenge the death of its top general. Our Elizabeth Palmer was in the crowd. In Tehran, an estimated million people joined in an epic salute to Qasem Soleimani. Iran's supreme leader Ali Khamenei wept as he led the prayer service for his friend and ally, the man he had worked with so closely to expand Iran's influence across the Middle East. This is not just a mourning procession, it's a political message designed to demonstrate that all Iranians are united in anger and in outrage against the United States. I just uh, say the sentence uh, for the President Trump. You deep your grave. Soleimani's daughter was also on hand. Her father's death, she said, would bring dark days to America. If Iran does retaliate with force, it's likely to involve Hassan Nasrallah and Hezbollah, a battle-hardened Iranian proxy force based in Lebanon, but thought to have global reach. It was the U.S. military that killed Soleimani, said Nasrallah, and it will pay. But he emphasized that American civilians would not be targeted. There's already been some political fallout from the assassination. Iran has announced it's pretty much withdrawing from the nuclear deal and going back to enriching as much uranium as it likes. You issued a statement calling, calling Soleimani a murderer. Later, you issued a second statement saying that he was, quote, an assassination of a senior foreign military official. Now, this is a man who obviously is responsible for hundreds of American troops, deaths, carnage that we can't even imagine. The Treasury Department and the State Department have both designated the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as a terrorist organization. I don't understand the flip-flop. I, I don't understand why it was so hard to call him a terrorist, and I would just like you to explain. So, uh, I, and I appreciate it, and I appreciate your kind comments. You know, all three of my brothers yes, served in the yes. military. We've talked and about I believe this before. You, yes, no, no. I believe you respect and, the military. And, and I know you do, too. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't a change. They're true. The question is... What is the response that the President of the United States should make? And what advances the interests of the United States of America? Think about Saddam Hussein. Mm. You want to talk about a, a bad guy, right? <laughs> However, going to war in Iraq was not in the interests of the United States. Mm. We lost thousands of American lives. It cost us here at home. It has cost us around the world. It has been a part of this cost in the Middle East that has ended up with millions of people who've lost their lives, who've been injured, uh, who've been displaced. The question for the President of the United States is to understand what's going on, have an overall strategy, and pick an appropriate response. And going back to Cody's question, that is a terrorist. Time. He's part of a group that has but been designated. He's part of a group that's been designated. So of course, he is. He's okay. part of a group that our federal government has designated as a terrorist. The question, though is what's the right response? And the response that Donald Trump has picked is the most incendiary and has moved us right to the edge of war. And 
that is not in our long-term interest. Well, and that, that's the question that I have for you because I... Take a look at this scene in Iran. Right now, Iranians coming together en masse to mourn the country's most powerful general. This morning, there's new tension and new threats over the American airstrike that took his life. Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian general killed by a U.S. drone strike ordered by President Trump, was buried this morning in his hometown. Iranian state TV reports dozens of people were killed and dozens more injured in a stampede that broke out at the funeral. Amid the crushing sea of mourners, the head of Iran's Revolutionary Guard making explicit threats, saying, we tell our enemies that we will retaliate, but if they take another action, we will set ablaze the places that they like and are passionate about. And this morning in Baghdad, a large mural of Qasem Soleimani is now hanging from an apartment building facing the U.S. Embassy. So U.S. officials literally coming face to face with the man. They so that's our media better still going on about Iran. And then we have the missile attacks. Fazi Farnaz Fasahi, a journalist, breaking Iran Revolutionary Guard begins fierce revenge on U.S. Iranian ballistic missile hit. Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq, largest U.S. base, and it begins. Breaking statement from IRGC. The brave soldiers of IRGC Aerospace Unit have launched a successful attack with tens of ballistic missiles at Al-Assad military base in the name of martyr Jenner Qasim Salami. Breaking footage, which was ran... On CNN, without even confirming, from this lady. Why hasn't the media interviewed Gold Star families of some of our veterans maimed by IEDs created under Salami's command? Instead of attempting to glorify this terrorist, why not review some of the victims of this attack? Instead of amplifying the regime's propaganda, because that wouldn't fit the never-Trump anti-American narrative of the MSM propaganda machine like this lady. And then we go into the military articles. No cell phones, laptops are allowed to go with the 82nd Airborne because of it. And then there's a story that was from force on force, you know, not real, but training. Lance Corporal Phone selfie got his Marine unit killed at 29 Palms because somebody recognized the geography and they called for fire. And then we have people are panicking about the military draft, stop loss and IR activation. Here's the reality. Number one, the draft isn't coming back without an act of Congress. Registration doesn't mean you're headed to war. The draft would be the last resort option. Stop-loss orders are possible, but likely not for everyone. An IAR recall would also likely target certain specialties, not everybody. U.S. Army recruiting. Fact check. The Army is not contacting anyone regarding the draft. Text messages currently circulating are false and are not official. ROTC command, fact-checked, a number of fraudulent text messages informing individuals they've been selected for military draft have circulated throughout the country this week. Do not be scammed. It's not true. It even made the news, because when you sign up for college loans, that's part of it. And these little millennials, oh my God, I might have to do something. That would be horrible. After a U.S. airstrike killed Iran's top military leader Friday, social media flooded with alarm. Twitter users morbidly turned World War III into the top trending term worldwide. 
Many posted messages and memes insinuating that the draft could be reinstated. Some seem to think that students who applied for the free application for federal student aid or FAFSA would be prioritized for military service. And after panic ensued, the Selective Service System issued a statement on Twitter saying that the spread of misinformation caused its website to crash. In a follow-up tweet, the government agency explained that Congress will first have to authorize a draft and it could only be instated in the event of a national emergency. To be clear, there is no active draft at this time. And according to FAFSA, though a selective service has been a, quote, long-standing requirement to receive federal student aid, the draft is based on random lottery numbers in year of birth, not on the basis of FAFSA loans. I mean, good God, I'd have to do something for other than myself? Fuck that. Security heightened at domestic U.S. bases amid rising tensions with Iran. I'll tell you the other day, it took me 45 minutes to get on post. The 173rd has deployed. Along with the 82nd. Army Rangers have deployed. An element of the Army's 75th Ranger Regiment has been ordered to the Middle East, joining the ground forces surging to the region as tensions escalate. They didn't say where they were from. Um, Which battalion? But then there's a complete article of everybody that's going. 3,500 paratroopers from the 82nd, contingent army rangers, 75th, 2,000 marines from the 26th MEF, 100 marines from 2nd Battalion, 7th, uh, rapid response force from Vincenza of the 173rd, uh, U.S. spokesman Central Command declined to provide task and purpose with a complete list of U.S. military units that are deploying. I have not been able to get anything locally, but I guarantee the one, the 75th went, the 160th went. The 388th Fighter Wing sent out a picture of 52 F-35s on a runway. They're doing battles out there and training. It was pre-scheduled, but they're saying we're on our full warfighting capability. Then we find out uh, U.S. Army specialists killed with two other Americans in attack Sunday by Al-Qaeda-aligned militants in Kenya has been identified Specialist Henry Mayfield Jr., 23rd 3 from Chicago, was killed. That didn't make much of the press because they're too busy talking about how fucking horrible Trump is. Then other articles. No, the Marines are not calling up individual ready reservists. That was just the Marine one. Then there's an article from Military.com. Army Times did one. Task and Purpose. Everything you need to know about the military draft. And they broke it down. It's got to be ordered, folks. It's a major thing. The only positive military story that's not Iran-related, that the Air Force Academy has seen an inc- the most applicants ever female because of Captain Marvel. They're calling it the Captain Marvel effect. It's interesting. Then we have the shitbags. Michael Moore, I've just sent the Ayatollah of Iran a personal appeal asking him not to respond to our assassination of his top general with violence of any kind, but rather let me and millions of America fix this peacefully. So this is what he said. He did it in Arab. Sir, with deep condolences for the acts of violence on our behalf by a man with the majority of Americans have never voted for. I want you to not to respond violently, but to act bravely instead and let the American people refrain 
from power do man honestly michael moore american citizen microsoft translation in a deeply unfortunate expression of violent action or a name by a man who has never voted for majority americans i want you to not answer with violence but instead of boldly and to us the american people let us avoid power man selfless michael moore american citizen <laughs> robert george this is by the way the best way to pitch rohani and me michael Here's a lot there to unpack, because he sent him up his book. Ben Shapiro. Oh, good. Persian history expert Bette Midler's here to decode the Ayatollah's military strategy. Bette Midler. This tap on the wrist, does that word faint mean anything to you, or do you actually think this is the end of it? Iran is a thousands of years old and was the first empire in history surviving because they are cunning, crafty, and have lots of what we do not. Patience. See, they're, they're rooting for our enemy. Then the liberals went out. Don't worry. I got sound bites too. CBP, social media posts that CBP is detaining Iranian Americans and refusing their entry into the U.S. because of their country of origin are false. <clears throat> Reports that DHC, CBP has issued a related directive are also false. Hoda Katabi, CNN carried this. Breaking, U.S. Customs and Border Protection nationally have been ordered to detain and report all Iranians entering the country deemed potentially suspicious or adversarial regardless of citizenship status. 60-plus Iranis held last night at the U.S.-Canada border for 11 hours. Thread. Howard Dean jumped on this. In other words, if you're an American citizen of Iranian descent, don't leave the U.S. You may not be allowed back. It's totally false. Ahmad Alzizi, CBC says, or CBP says the viral tweet is bullshit. But the wait times have increased because of increased security. Based on the current threat environment, CBP is operating with an enhanced posture, like everything else is, because we just don't know. Dara Lind, I get it, but the original allegation of a nationwide directive came from a single anonymous source in an advocacy press release and hasn't been substantiated, but everybody ran with it. As a reporter, my role, this is what she's saying, a CNN reporter once again, my role is not to back up everybody but to lay out the facts to the best of my ability. A viral tweet and press release citing one anonymous source said there was a nationwide directive to detain Iranians at the border. CBP says that it's false. I'm noting that. But they don't believe it because, once again, it's it's Trump. Trump. Eric Esquire, you know how much CBP lies. You know Trump's lies. The journalist again, as far as the detention secondary interviews go, my colleagues and I are looking into that and speaking with those impacted and advocates. We will report what we get from here, and then it just goes away. It was a full thing. It's just huge. It went everywhere. CARE, the Islamist group. So far we know of several families who have been released, some of whom were assisted directly. Jadiv or Javid Zaraf denying me a visa is violation of 1947 UHHQ agreement pales in comparison to Pompeo's threat to starve Iranians, Trump bluster about cultural heritage, cowardly assassination. But what are they really afraid of? Truth. Jake Tapper carried this. 
Iranian foreign minister responds to U.S. government refusal to grant him a visa to speak at the United Nations. People brought Tapper some truth. He offered an 80 million bounty to assassinate our president. He could just stay right where he is. We have enough mouthpieces for the mullahs right here on your network. Apparently, Jake does, and almost seems like he shared it so the bunch of haters could shriek about how Trump is a bad guy here. Terrorists are bad, but Orange Man worse. <clears throat> Cal Steuben. I think it might be time to move the UN to a more civilized country and take a serious look at whether the US should be kept in it with veto power. These are all liberals. I mean, I could do the whole thing of just threads of we can trust Iran more than America because of Trump out of this resistance group. Ten signs to watch by people tweeting who know nothing about the Middle East but will now talk as if they do. This is an Iranian. Before yesterday, they never heard of Salon Naimi and still struggle to remember what his first name was. You're think we, we're thinking a lot of people pretend Salon Naimi is a good guy. We're clueless about him until a few days ago. Two, the pro, proactively and without invitation condemn America in the region without saying anything at all about Iran in the region, thinking this wins them brownie points from brown people from the region. It doesn't. Three, at some stage, they'll either accidentally tweet out or otherwise approve of official Iranian state propaganda and voices sent by the theocratic regime without realizing it's because they have absolutely no idea how how to recognize Iranian proxy propaganda voices. Four, narcissist obsession with hating Trump, even at the expense of hundreds of thousands of dead Arab civilians and the medieval theocratic oppression of millions of Iranians, <clears throat> will be what really guides their analysis, not what's objectively happening on the ground. Five, just as they'll struggle to recall Salmanay's first name, they'll think watching Aziz Sari on Netflix, no offense, my bro, qualifies as knows a Muslim voice in order to then pronounce their emotionally charged hot takes on Middle East politics and defense of Muslims. Six, they'll be unable to recognize or even name Iran's terrorist militants everywhere in the world, responsible for war crimes that were often par with or worse than ISIS in Syria, and all the wars in Iran has inferred in it. Seven, they'll be unable to tell you what which is Soleimani's largest and most effective terror group, who leads it, and which countries practically runs entire regions in. Eight, they'll never heard the word hashed and cannot tell you what it means. Nine, nor can they name the entire Arab countries and population absolutely despised and hated Soleimani as a genocidal maniac and who will be dancing in the street with joy with them right now. We played it last time. 10. They will read the above thread and turn very binary on me by accusing me of being pro-Trump or pro-Saudi rather than understand the mixed picture I'm painting without ever having had a relationship with anything in the Middle East beyond Twitter. And he's right. Folks, I had an adult conversation for a while with a guy who said, I need to know history going back forever. And by the time it ended up being towards the end, I was just saying, well, here's the reality. You're going to call him a world leader, even though he wasn't. And you're going to say what Obama did was okay, because in the end, it's Trump bad. The reality for me is, he killed people that were my friends. He is a bad guy. And I supported Obama, who I thought was a steaming pile of shit. 
for doing his job against terrorists because it's the only thing he did right in his whole eight years. And you can't because of Trump. You lack the intellectual honesty. Once the argument started going away his way, a guy, which was his friend, come on the feed, oh, he's a bot. He's not real, which is the new thing on Twitter. You're a bot. You're not real because they bought into this Russia thing. They bought in that, you know, half the country voted for Trump because they were duped by fucking Facebook and Twitter. By the time it was done, this guy that I was whooping his ass arguing with, he blocked me. Everybody who said it, I could see their shit, but I was blocked to see them any further. Because they believed I was just a bot. Nobody could actually support this president without being a bot. And it goes back to my last podcast. Clinton had bot farms with people attacking people all over the place. PPFA does it. NARAL does it. All these groups do it. CARE does it. And people just chase people all over the internet. Dox them. But their conduct up to point has been horrible. The missiles just made it worse. For those of you joining us for World News tonight, uh, at this hour we have just learned U.S. officials uh, telling ABC News that Iran has kept its promise to retaliate after that deadly drone strike and Iran's top commander saying that Iran has fired ballistic missiles from inside Iran into Iraq into U.S. military facilities, uh, particularly that U.S. military base in western Iraq. We do not know if there was, in fact, more than one target. This information coming in just as we were coming on the air tonight. I do want to bring in our chief global affairs correspondent, Martha Radich. She is live in Tehran tonight because, Martha, you conducted an interview with Iran's foreign minister just today who said the U.S. will pay for its act of war. He certainly did. Javid Zarif told me just hours ago that they would take action against the United States. He said Iran is very patient. We will do it at a time and place of our choosing. So this has been very rapid if this does indeed turn out to be true. He said he would hit uh, targets, U.S. targets, where it hurt the most. I asked him what he meant about uh, 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 by that. He said they would not hit civilian targets. I said, does that mean you will hit military targets? He said, that's what the military wants to do, but we will determine that at a future date. But again, here in Tehran, they are confirming that missiles were launched, the IRGC. I also asked him about the threat of an all-out war. He said that that is up to the United States and how they respond to any retaliatory attack from Iran. David? I want to bring in Colonel Stephen Ganyard, a military analyst for ABC News. And Colonel Ganyard, uh, we've been saying for days now uh, that U.S. military bases could very well be the likely targets. Iran had uh, signif- uh, signified that, that that could actually happen, and it would appear they've uh, kept their promise tonight. We saw in Iran um, many, many protests against the government just recently, we saw in Iraq many, many protests against Iranian presence in Iraq and also in Lebanon. Are you saying that that is now gone, that now people are rallying around the flag again? And what pressure will that put on your leadership in terms of I'm responding? That, uh... 
I'm saying that uh, the American government, the American president, made a serious miscalculation. They made a serious mistake uh, by assassinating, uh, by taking this terrorist action against uh, Commander Soleimani. And uh, I'm sure that they regret what they've done because the response is not only limited to Iran, we see this wave of awakening in many countries in the world, in many European countries, in the U.S. Uh, the people in the U.S., uh, their reactions, I've been seeing some of this on the uh, social networks, on Twitter. Uh, this is an awakening. The people now understand very well uh, what has happened and uh, the terrible actions of the American government. Uh, and this, yes, this has brought the Iranian nation together. And uh, this is an, uh, a great opportunity for uh, Iran today. And uh, people are standing uh, firmly uh, behind Iran, behind the supreme leader, behind uh, the country. And I think that uh, this is a clear indication of the fact that uh, Iran uh, has been righteous in its uh, positions, in its uh, political, diplomatic uh, stance. And uh, if we uh, have been present in uh, Iraq, it's been on the invitation of the government. It's our neighborhood. It's our security. Uh, we're working always for peace and stability in this region. Uh, we have fought, and Commander Soleimani fought against uh, Daesh and was successful and the reason that we see the demise of Daesh in Syria in uh, Iraq uh, has been the support of the people in those areas but also uh, the leadership and the support of a commander like uh, Soleimani who was invited by those governments to assist and to help and uh, I think that uh, that is the reason that's the main reason that he was targeted because he stood up against terrorism he was a symbol of the uh, demise of Daesh and uh, uh, his strength, uh, his charismatic personality, uh, the fact that he was uh, also uh, very, very close to the people in his heart. Uh, I think that this is, is very important today for us. Uh, Jim Acosta, I want to dig into something that uh, you spoke about and that Jim Shudo uh, mentioned just moments ago. The Iranians appear to be saying that they don't want further escalation. How does right. this very dangerous situation de-escalate? I mean, you have reporting, this reporting, that the president doesn't want to appear weak. You said that he's backed himself into a corner. So, so right. now what? I, I think that is the question, Don. I, I mean, I talked to a source who speaks with the pre president regularly, was speaking with him over the holiday break, and described the president uh, as somebody who is pleased with how he has handled this Iran situation so far, has justified uh, the killing of Soleimani by talking about uh, some of the wounded at Walter Reed and some wounded veterans who are missing arms and legs and so on. Uh, but that this is a president who is impulsive and doesn't think through the implications of his actions. Now, that may work okay for the president when he is looking for a short-term political fix on the border, uh, when it comes to brinkmanship with China on trade and so on. Uh, but this is a very different situation. I mean, people are saying tonight, well, maybe the Iranians intentionally meant to, you know, hit areas away from these soldiers. My goodness, what if the Iranians... Uh, had, had not done that and actually taken out 
a lot of U.S. troops tonight. This could have been a, a massive catastrophe of proportions that we just can't fully appreciate. And so this was this was a dangerous night at the casino for President Trump. And I think tomorrow morning's message, Don, is going to be critical. It is going to be critical. And I think one of the things we have to watch for is whether or not the caution that we're seeing coming from the president tonight, uh, coming from the president in this tweet tonight, and the fact that he didn't make a statement tonight, is reflected in the statement that he makes tomorrow morning. Uh, if he goes back to the bellicose rhetoric, talking about uh, severe consequences for Iran and so on, uh, it suggests that we are not out of this crisis. If he does lower the rhetoric, perhaps it means, and going back to what Jim Shuto was saying, that perhaps both sides have gotten their hits in and and perhaps both sides go back to their respective corners. But at, at this point, Don, as you and I both know, the president is way too unpredictable uh, to state clearly what he intends to do. Breaking overnight, massive crowds filled the streets of Tehran for the funeral of Iran's top general killed in that U.S. drone strike with new warnings of dark days ahead for America. Funeral processions, unlike anything seen in decades, are continuing this morning, bringing Iran's supreme leader to tears as he vows to avenge his top general, Qasem Soleimani. Cities across Iran are now seas of black. Extraordinary scenes of grief and anger punctuated with chants of revenge and death to America. Let's look at some of these images this morning coming in from Tehran. And what Richard Engel reported was millions of people crowding this funeral procession. How much pressure are the leaders in Iran under to retaliate and retaliate in a big way? They're under massive pressure. And as you heard, this is a, a level of demonstration we haven't seen since the Great Revolution, if you will. We're just getting reports now that a second wave of rocket, launch, rocket attacks have been launched uh, from Iran. The IRGC was saying that Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader of this country, was in the control center coordinating these attacks. Uh, this is uh, um, this bit I'm, I'm not sure about, but the Iran state media is claiming that 30 U.S. soldiers have been killed in this attack. Now, this is not confirmed. This is just coming from Iranian media. But we have just uh, stepped over the precipice, Chris. Uh, we have entered a very unpredictable time. We have to see what the response is going to be from the United States. And lying seems to be this current government's specialty. CNN's latest count found that Trump made 90 false claims during the final two weeks of 2019. But go back to his first day in office. Remember the first day, Trump said it was sunny when it was cloudy and rainy. I know people might think that's funny when it's about the weather, but there is nothing amusing about this situation, nothing amusing about war. As many people have been pointing out this week, a crisis like this one is precisely when credibility is needed the most. And Trump doesn't have it. But look, I think reporters need to avoid being cynical. We have to avoid being cynical, but we have to question everything, especially with memories of the lead-up to the Iraq War. Journalistic values demand that skepticism. And patriotism demands it. Let's talk about patriotism for a minute. Don't be fooled by the propagandists who are going to tell you to wear blinders in the days and weeks and months ahead. They're already starting to do this. They're already starting to tell you, just rally around the flag. 
But it is patriotic to ask for evidence. It is patriotic to question official accounts, to wonder if the public is being manipulated into a wider war. It is patriotic to ask, as Fox's Tucker Carlson did the other day, who's actually benefiting from this? It is patriotic to hold our leaders accountable. But you're going to hear otherwise. You already are. It's already starting. Uh, to me, I, I bemoan the fact, especially even since the Iraq war, that it feels like patriotism is largely dead amongst our journalism corps. Well, Where's the home team for a lot of these people? P- patriotism is alive and well in America's newsrooms. But I suspect that kind of talk is going to keep up. If this gets worse, if more missiles fly, the American press will come under more and more pressure to rally around the flag, to toe the line, to save their questions for later. But now is the time, right now, to insist on evidence and accountability. Now, I'm not saying people should be reflexively for or against anything. I'm saying people should be critical and think critically about everything. Especially, and this is what the Fox and Friends gang will never admit, especially when the current administration, the current people in power, have been proven time and time again to lie and mislead you. It's just fucking unbelievable. I mean, it... It's literally unbelievable. I'm not even playing everything. Everything that I could play on this. I mean, this would take me like eight years to pull all this off. I mean, they literally, I mean, just literally couldn't help themselves. They just fucking hate Trump so bad that they they just stomped all over themselves to pretty much say, hey... We had it coming, and they're going to come get us. I mean, all the things in there. One of them was a hostage taker. They brought Iranians on, and they softballed them. I mean, I haven't seen a Trump official get such easy interviews as as they did, and they make it sound like they've done nothing wrong. They're just a peace-loving thing, because all they know is one of Obama's big things was the ACA, and then his Iran deal. And they have to protect it. That's just what they do. So Iran can't be bad because Obama said it wasn't bad. And even though you can sit and present everything, they're not going to listen. Other stuff. AP gets weak need for Ayatollah tears. Rare display of emotion. This is such a... It's 831 puff piece that... The typically reserved and measure Anatola Kameli rarely display an emotion. Voice cracked under the weight of the moment. An emotional Khomeini showed Iran general death is personal. They have a picture of him. I mean, it, it's like he is such a great person. Um, showcase the depths of the bond Khomeini had with the slain general. Death is being felt personally. So many across the Middle East... And the U.S. Salomonini was a dangerous figure, but for Iranians, he was a powerful, lionized figure in Iran who embodied Iran's lethal reach in the face of crushing presser. I mean, during this funeral, as, you know, they were right, let me finish it, Salomonini was received with no man before him in modern Iraq. Funeral procession spread over several days, had been photographed kissing one of Salomonini's son, uh, Ayatollah was. In a deeply personal and symbolic weighty gesture, Iran's supreme leader made a rare visit to somebody's home the day he was killed to offer condolences. And liberals were online, like Michael Moore, 
and a few other ones. With Would anybody in America get a funeral like this? And people had to sit there and tell them, you understand, they're forced to go on the street. This is like Saddam. If you don't go to the funeral, you get your own funeral. I mean, these motherfuckers don't play. They just don't. New York Times seems to be working overtime to paint a terrorist responsible for the deaths of thousands of innocent people as some sort of hero. New York Times. Knowing General Salami was out there made me feel safer, said a student, about the commander killed in America drone strike. He was like a security umbrella above our country. Listen to today's episode. I'll just read one tweet reply. This is disgusting. Iranian journalist begs U.S. media don't fall for Iranian propaganda. And I'm going to read it in a second, but here's other articles they did. Brett Stevens published an NYT column quoting Iranian journalist Masa Ahadia saying Soleimani's death could bring a sense of realism to Iran thinking. Nazi Badani, this piece is a defamatory hit job against Alija Maha, a journalist who is already facing death and rape threats and whose brother has been taken hostage by IRA to silence her. Why is a member of U.S. Congress, a female lawyer, that endorsing this? Because it was endorsed by Omar. In case anyone's still confused about Eileen Omar, here she is sharing smear towards Ayana Mahana Masil as a journalist and author who fights the Iranian regime. Her brother's in prison because they can't get her. That's who Ihan smears, a feminist against a theocratic regime. Time. If you need help talking with children in your life about the aftermath of Iranian General Salami's killing, Time has a guide. And, and this is President Donald Trump called, why did U.S. take... He, why did U.S. take action? Trump called him a terrorist. Trump says Saloni's ordered to attack the military and diplomats was planning attacks against Americans in the Middle East. For this reason, Trump ordered the U.S. military to kill Soleimani. The drone attack took place at an airport. The U.S. strike came. The U.S. military leaders gave Trump several choices over how to respond to Ryan's action. Killing Soleimani was considered the most extreme. How has Iran responded? Iran has called for three days of mourning. Maji Takaravini, Iranian ambassador to the United Nations, we cannot just remain silent. And they go on and on and make it sound like Iran is good, Trump is bad, vis-a-vis America. You got another New York Times, Kurt Anderson, 20,000 likes and counting for a bogus quote. New York Times, officials presented the president with options, the Pentagon tacked on the choice of targeting Soleimani, mainly to make other options seem reasonable. They didn't think he would take it. When Mr. Trump chose the option, military official flabbergasted were alarmed. Caleb Hall, this is fake. It's fake news. This has gone viral. It's been shared by Obama bros, among others, but it's not a real quote for the New York Times article. It combines various sentences and brings it to a quote. James Hassan, the New York Times piece about Soleimani's operation, managed to slip in a number of biases and editorial under the guise of straight news. And it, they just did a word salad to do it. Then the New York Times. Obituary. We just read the one, a steer leader. Sam White, who was the last coach to lead the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl, but who was later fined by the National Football League for barring female reporters to the team locker room, has died. People said, you're garbage. 
Chris Saliza, Elizabeth Warren, ever-shifting statement in Qasem Soleimani's killing. Real article for a second. It was pulled because it became a Twitter thread. Chris Saliza's a piece of shit, so he changed it. Because it's okay for Democrats to flip-flop. Democrats call for flags to be flown at half-mast to grieve death of Soleimani was a Babylon Bee article. Because by the time they were done, it was that bad. It has gotten to such a fever pitch. Former NFL star posts picture of White House with instructions for Iran to target it. Albert Hainsworth, Mr. Stomp on the Neck. New York Times again. A podcast. Soleimani's a hero like Martin Luther King. When I ask opposition activists, why are you there? Why are you going to the funeral? The response was, General Soleimani protected our national security. He transcended politics. He was a hero. Another one said, knowing General Soleimani was out there made me feel safe. He is a civil rights like Martin Luther King in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how they acted. Because they believe Iran over Trump. They will believe anybody. So here's the article. Don't believe Iranian propaganda about the mourning for Soleimani. That's the message to plead from Iranian journalist and activist Bija Ajadin. This article was brought out, and then the media said, well, she works for the government, so she can't be trusted. That's what members of the media said and liberals. And the message or plea from the Iranian journalist and activist Maja Ajahaden, published by the Washington Post on Monday. Unfortunately, news bus reporting on the liberal media reaction to Soleimani's demise has shown they were not heeding her warning or willingly becoming mouthpieces for a murderous regime. While the liberal media was running around and claiming Iranians were united against the United States by his Soleimani's death, they were made to look like fools when the fact of the barbarism were laid on the table. Alijad began to recall how the general was responsible for massacring his fellow countrymen after they protested the regime. According to Reuters, more than 1,500 people were killed by security forces, including units of Soleimani's IRG. The Internet was shut down for five days. Tran has yet to release official figures of its own, which suggests the death toll was even higher. Apparently, those protesters had harsh words for Salami and his foreign adventures, including his support for radical Islamic terrorists. The families of those slain protesters had to pay money to get their loved ones' bodies returned and were barred from having public funerals. The military was even rolled out to break up some funerals. Seems like the liberal media didn't care about those funerals. On Monday, ABC News, CBS News, and NBC gushed about the massive gatherings of the street. You heard some of the sound bites. Foreign Affairs Chief for ABC, Martha Raddatz, was moved by them chanting Death to America, while CBS4 correspondents Elizabeth Palmer touted a message of death against Trump. <clears throat> but Allegheny exposed what was really happening on the ground to get these crowns turned out. Without doubt, Salami had supporters among hardliners and regime loyalists. The regime has not taken any chances, though. In the city of Oz, where large numbers of people turn out to mourn Salami, the government was, has forced students and officials to attend. It provided free transport and ordered shops to shut down. According to videos sent to me by people inside the country, the authorities are making little kids write essays praising the piece of shit. First graders who didn't know how to write were encouraged to cry for salami. 
Some Iranians have compared the funeral service of Salami to the, the, those held for Nazi leader Reinhard Eldridge, the butcher of Prague killed by Allied agents during World War II, explaining how she knew about what many Iranians really th- thought about Salami, Al-Jadeen said, received thousands of message, voicemails, and videos from Iranians in cities such as Saraz, Isfala, Tehran, and Eva Avaz, who are happy about Salami's death. They also said they're being pressured to attend such gatherings. Al-Jadeen went after the media directly, calling out how they refused to speak with Salamani dissenters and were more than willing to promote the regime's claims. There are remaining Iranian voices who think Salami was a war criminal, but Western journalists rarely reach out to them. Ironically, the Western media is more skeptical of such state-organized events in other countries, such as Russia or North Korea, but seems to leave its critical sense of border when it comes to the Islamic Republic. While it's true that Western correspondents face daunting conditions when it comes to reporting the truth from Iran, that shouldn't excuse the many times they've shown unwarranted gullibility towards the official versions of events. Others in Iran who have loved ones killed by Soleimani have sent her videos of themselves speaking to the camera, dancing, or even sharing cakes and sweets. That sounds more like a celebration than a country united in anger against the United States. It's like, once again, during the times when Bush lied and people died, Propaganda for the enemy. They're just propaganda for the enemy. Before we get to Trump's speech, two articles sent to me by bro Matt in Oregon. I ran, but apparently not fast enough, a picture of salami. And Trump expands controversial job creation program to include Iran. A fucking funny article that says now he's killing people so that they can get jobs, which I thought was pretty funny. And I don't know if Matt sent me that or I found it, but I thought it was pretty damn funny because why not laugh at it? What can you do? We have a media that I always say is the mouthpiece for the DNC. Well, now they're the prop they're they're Baghdad bomb for Iran. So here's Trump's speech and reaction from said speech and you will hear once again wagging the dog you'll hear all sorts of shit because trump bad as we continue to evaluate options in response to iranian aggression the united states will immediately impose additional punishing economic sanctions on the iranian regime these powerful sanctions will remain until Iran changes its behavior. Uh, I think it is notable at how how ham-handedly the president tried to politicize this by 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 blaming the previous administration for financing. I, I you know, we're glossing over that. The sitting president of the United States accusing essentially the previous president of helping to finance uh, Iranian weapons is 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 quite remarkable that he's willing to push the envelope like that with with the with the office with this office i mean i guess at this point we shouldn't be surprised that he does these things anymore it's still a remarkable thing that he actually did it 
And uh, the president has indicated, including last night with reporters aboard Air Force One, that he may consider uh, revealing more information about that intelligence. Uh, but we don't have that yet. And I, I expect over the next few days there's going to be pressure, especially from Democrats in Congress, uh, to really examine what that intelligence was and whether the president had been making a sound decision last week when he authorized this attack. But are we to believe, Nayara, that the president, the White House, is suddenly reliant and trusting of the intelligence agencies as it relates to Iran and Soleimani? But until this point, the president has been trashing and dogging the intelligence agencies, specifically as it relates to Russia and the 2016 election. Does it surprise you that something as serious as this, he's now trusting his agencies? You're absolutely right, Steph. Uh, this is actually all part of the Trump administration trying to build a narrative for something that they've been contemplating for quite some time, which is taking a very hardline stance against Iran. We know that the Trump administration uh, does not run a proper national security process of talking to the generals and the diplomats and the intel community. Uh, and frankly, the fact that even the most extreme option that was rejected by uh, George Bush as president, rejected by President Obama, uh, that was even put on a decision memo in front of the president of the United States, to me seems a little odd. I don't think that would have made it through a normal national security clearance process. Uh, this president is more motivated by the idea of shock and awe uh, and looking strong. These are all narratives that we've heard uh, in 20 years ago for the Iraq war. Uh, we're hearing that it's uh, there's an imminent threat to the United States, uh, but no evidence of that. Um, it does seem that this is more of a uh, attempt to engage militarily with Iran, uh, that the John Boltons and the other architects of the Iraq war have been advocating for quite some time. And they will find whatever narrative they need to fit around that. And it, the convenient one is saying that it's intelligence sources, uh, but it could very easily just be uh, appealing to America's interest of looking strong and being policemen for the world. Now, here's the, the interesting thing in all of this, Craig, and I was speaking to a colleague of mine who actually uh, was around at the time of the Iranian hostage crisis back uh, in 79 and in 1980, uh, and he was saying that it's unimaginable to think that in this day and age, it would be the Iranians who are signaling that they want to de-escalate, that they are being rational, that they have in the tweet of the Iranian foreign minister from last night saying, we do not seek war, we do not seek confrontation, but we will defend ourselves. And it is the president of the United States that everybody's watching to see whether or not there's going to be unpredictability, uh, whether or not there's going to be any kind of irrationality in the way he goes forward with this attack. And so it's a very telling signal of how the times have changed uh, that the president of the United States is now the most watched person as he's about to deliver this statement to indicate whether or not this region goes in the direction of war or goes in the direction of uh, de-escalation. Jim Acosta, I want to dig into something that uh, you spoke about and that Jim Shudo uh, mentioned just moments ago. The Iranians appear to be saying that they don't want further escalation. How does this very dangerous situation de-escalate? I mean, you have reporting, this reporting, that the president doesn't want to appear weak. You said that he's backed himself into a corner. So, so right. now what? I, I think that is the question, Don. I, I mean, I talked to a source who speaks with the pre president regularly, was speaking with him over the holiday break, and described the president uh, as somebody who is pleased with how he has handled this Iran situation so far, has justified uh, the killing of Soleimani by talking about uh, some of the wounded at Walter Reed and some wounded veterans who are missing arms and legs and so on. Uh, but that this is a president who is impulsive and doesn't think through the implications of his actions. Now, that may work okay for the president when he is looking for a short-term political fix 
on the border, uh, when it comes to brinkmanship with China on trade and so on. Uh, but this is a very different situation. I mean, people are saying tonight, well, maybe the Iranians intentionally meant to, you know, hit areas away from these soldiers. My goodness, what if the Iranians uh, had, had not done that and actually taken out a lot of U.S. troops tonight? Th this could have been a, a massive catastrophe of proportions that we just can't fully appreciate. And so this was this was a dangerous night at the casino for President Trump. And I think tomorrow morning's message, Don, is going to be critical. It is going to be critical. And I think one of the things we have to watch for is whether or not the caution that we're seeing coming from the president tonight, uh, coming from the president in this tweet tonight, and the fact that he didn't make a statement tonight, is reflected in the statement that he makes tomorrow morning. Uh, if he goes back to the bellicose rhetoric, talking about uh, severe consequences for Iran and so on, uh, it suggests that we are not out of this crisis. If he does lower the rhetoric, perhaps it means, and going back to what Jim Shuto was saying, that perhaps both sides have gotten their hits in and and perhaps both sides go back to their respective corners. But at, at this point, Don, as you and I both know, the president is way too unpredictable uh, to state clearly. I mean, it's just unfucking believable Unbelievable. Omar, this makes no sense. Sanctions are economic warfare. They've already caused medical shortage and countless deaths to Iran. You cannot claim to want de-escalation that announce new sanctions with no clear go. This is not a measured response. Then she said, Susan Rice, no leverage to deliberately avoid killing any of our troops after we took out their top general. Our military power dwarfs theirs and we're energy independent and don't need their oil. I didn't know if it's even possible to have more leverage. Politico. Trump is trying to portray Democrats as Iran's sympathizer for questioning the his decision to kill Soleimani. Trump pounces. Democrats portraying themselves as Iran's sympathizer. Checks notes. Trump fault. Nope, they portrayed themselves. Trump, like America, is just taking note. Iran media and our House Democrats on the same coordinated message. Dave Weigel. Quote of the day so far from a damn member of Congress reacting to Iran's limited strikes. You need two crazy leaders to start a war, and fortunately, Iran doesn't have one. This is the sort of guy that probably sounded great in the speaker's head when he was conjuring it up on the fly, but which is appalling when actually printed on a page. Everybody asked, who the fuck was it? And as we go to lighter fare, and I know this is a really long podcast... Here's just a quick soundbite to all the wag the dogs. Under Clinton, only cynical traitors questioned Clinton's military strike during his impeachment. One of the most uh, disturbing and deeply cynical days in uh, American political memory when you have the head of the Senate saying he does not support the airstrike because he doesn't believe in the motive or the timing. As salvo after salvo of cruise missiles continue to punish Iraq, Republicans in Congress are engaging in conduct that during the war in Vietnam they called giving aid and comfort to the enemy. Although they have backed off from the most inflammatory language of yesterday, they are still pressing for the president's impeachment. Colonel Oliver North, during Vietnam, sir, I believe you would have called those kinds of criticisms of the commander-in-chief treason.
By the way, Larry Eagleburger went even a step further tonight, and the secretary said that, of course, in his view, politics uh, played a part, was a component in the president's decision. Is it the height of cynicism in the 90s that we are discussing this at all, that anyone doubts the purity of a president's moment when committing troops in action militarily? It's almost disgusting listening to that flashback. Two quick lighter fares, then we have two sound bites for This Is America, and we'll close this out. First one, it's hard to do in between these two sound bites because the next ones are even worse than what I just played. I just thought it was funny. Consider this a reminder that Captain Crunch is definitely stolen valor. This is from a military site. Over the weekend, the airmen at MacDill Air Force Base made the mistake of inviting a known fraud into their midst. On Saturday, the official Twitter account of Defense Commissary Agency welcomed Captain Crunch to the premises of MacDill Air Force Base. In 2013, amid a series of questions regarding Captain Crunch... Crunch's uniform, the Navy confirmed that the fictional serial mascot was probably just a commander due to the three stripes. Indeed, a deeper search of historical images concluded that NPR revealed that Captain Crunch often sported an inconsistent number of stripes on his uniform in the MacDill setup, he rocking the twin stripes of a lieutenant. More importantly, a Navy spokesman told Foreign Policy that personnel records do not show a Captain Crunch who currently serves in the Navy. Say it with me now. Captain Crunch has stolen valor and should not be allowed onto any base or into the commissary ever for all time. If only for the health of your teeth. This has been a task and purpose public announcement. I just thought that was pretty funny. Then the other one is... What the fuck is this guy's name? Uh, Kevin Watke. And I hate Ohio State. But if you haven't seen this, I gotta, I gotta read it. This is his statement to go into the NFL. And you know how most players act. This guy was like a guard. So he wasn't a full-time player. And I I will buy his jersey when he's a pro. Because this is one of the greatest things I've ever read. Uh, Let me get my glasses on so there's no interruptions to this broadcast. After a great five years at Ohio State, I'm being forced to begin the next chapter no matter how hard I fight it. I am forced to leave Ohio State, so I might as well declare for the 2020 draft. I'm extremely grateful for the people who helped me sustain my career at Ohio State as long as possible. Without their help, I would have never been here in the first place. Now, very fair question, what most of you are asking, who is this kid? This is very valid, and I totally understand why nobody would have heard of me. I've done nothing to even remotely warrant attention in any way. I'm one of the guys in the hype video that stands in the back and looks like a mix of Buddy the Elf and Marv from Home Alone. (laughs) I have silently earned zero national awards and truly want to thank everyone who helped me achieve this honor. I'll never forget you for this. To my teammates, thank you for making these years unforgettable. Without you guys making all the athletic and spectacular plays, I would have never been able to glide under the radar like I did. From Jerome Baker's interception in the spring game overshadowing my worst pass block rep ever, to Blake making every field goal so I never had to tackle anyone in a real game, I really appreciate the work you guys put in to make the team what it was and me the man I am today. Lastly, shout out to the athletic training staff for the keeping me alive these many years. From the endless inhalers you had provided to help me, my asthma, 
all the way to helping me deal with my peanut allergy. Thinking back on it, it's honestly a miracle I'm not dead yet. (laughs) Five gold pants, three big championships. That's it. There's nothing else. There's no other awards. Go Bucks, and thank you, Buckeye Nation. One of the greatest things I ever. What a humble guy. What a humble guy. I got a bunch of other stuff. I'll take it to the next one because we're at three hours and 15 minutes before I started this. Especially an interesting article. I I watched the Rose Bowl again, and I, I forgot the pilot. One of the pilots was actually a duck badass from the 90s uh, or the early 2000s. Um, he was really good. And um, his pro career didn't work, and now he's an Air Force pilot. He flies fucking stealth bombers and shit. All right, this is America is two sound bites. The first sound bite you're going to hear is Barbara uh, Lee talking, and in the background, as we're talking about casualties, she's yucking it up with her fucking friends, and then she gets on and runs her cock trap. The second is MSNBC literally carrying. Iran media death count of our soldiers from a missile account attack, which you know now we didn't have any. But they don't trust the Trump administration. They go with a terrorist fucking state. And that is about as fucked up as I can fucking possibly think ever. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. And I'm very glad to say that uh, I was part of two and also... Uh, the vote for these uh, amendment, but uh, I think point of that is that that is the same that we're dealing with today. We solved any problems with AUMF. We left four thousand plus, maybe for it, dead, uh, and over six thousand who came back um, injured in some form, and the war ended. As I recall, the language it deals with hostilities in Iraq. Uh, it doesn't deal with an insur. Uh, a dislike or in a car coming in from the air. Uh, that is the danger, not acting. And I do think with leadership, uh, meaning the leadership of CP, come together around Pacific. We're just getting reports now that a second wave of rocket, launch, rocket attacks have been launched uh, from Iran. The IRGC was saying that Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader of this country, was in the control center coordinating these attacks. Uh, this is uh, um, this bit I'm, I'm not sure about, but the Iran state media is claiming that 30 U.S. soldiers have been killed in this attack. Now, this is not confirmed. This is just coming from Iranian media. But we have just uh, stepped over the precipice, Chris. Uh, We have entered a very unpredictable time. We have to see what the response is going to be from the United States. At the end of this jumbled mess of a podcast that was supposed to be my fun time, but started out with Iran, ended with Iran. It goes without saying, but I have to say it, that any of this conduct, be it Fox News, Republicans, doesn't really matter. 
any of this under Obama would be considered so unpatriotic, so un-American, so racist. It would have blown up your TV set. From actually rooting for us to be attacked, hoping, I do believe in their hearts, that soldiers would get injured so they could say, look what Trump did. Wag the dog that Clinton could do and Obama, everybody could do it. Nobody cared. Making a terrorist piece of shit who wounded, maimed, and killed Americans a hero and siding with an Islamist state who, as I've said through all the years I've done a podcast, they would kill you regardless of how much virtue signaling you have, how much you're on. They don't give a fuck. They're terrorists. You are an infidel piece of fucking shit. And even if you're a Muslim in America, you're not the right goddamn Shia or Sunni or whatever the fuck. They would still kill you. You're American. Every Democrat, prog fucking broadcaster, everything you push is the reason they hate us. From women's right to gay rights, those motherfuckers ain't playing that shit. Women are covered completely. Gays get tossed off roofs. And to say that their reaction to the death of Soleimani is actually honest and forthright and people really wanted to be there. No American believes that bullshit unless they are part of the resistance. And even in their hearts, they have to know that's not true. Iran has been a bad player on the world stage as long as I have been alive. They have been leaked to so many terroristic acts. And Soleimani was the head dude that you would act this way just because it's an election year. And because you hate Trump, says everything it needs to be said about you. I truly believe with all my heart, all of it, none of this would happen with Obama if Trump had a D behind his name. Even the way he acts right now, this media and those people would never conduct themselves the way they are. It just wouldn't happen. And that it is, to me, is worse than anything I ever saw during Iraq. Not supporting a war that you made happen because of your previous president making everybody in the world believe he had WMDs because everybody believed he had WMDs. And the moment we didn't find it, it was political cudgel. We're not going to finance it. Yada, yada. While Democrats weren't financing the Iraq invasion, they were criticizing for the casualties and not having body armor and up armor and all that. That was all happening. And all the same people you heard, from Martha Raddus to Chuck Todd to everybody on CNN, every one of you played that game then, went silent under Obama, never even tracked casualties, supported every fucking drone strike he ever did, and now you're back into all this is all bad. Yes, Chuck Todd, 
There is a misinformation ecosystem. It is the mainstream media who would rather report Iranian propaganda as news than information from the United States. And that is not what the framers thought with the First Amendment. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends and send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com you get this show on soundcloud podcast attic tune in radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher and pocket cast <clears throat> remember check out the facebook page at fop podcast and the twitter account at fop tony reed our next podcast we're going to shoot for um my computer is dying right now it's used a lot of memory let's go for the 15th 15th of January, year of our Lord, 2020 for our next. Hopefully this will move out of the cycle. We're going to have a less dramatic podcast where I'm less angry because this is two in a row for three and a half hours and I don't feel better at the end. I just feel more angry. As I always say, make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give your family the yeah, yeahs. Give them your undivided attention. And please tune in next Wednesday for another episode. As always, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Every day counts.